Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Monday, November 20th. We are live. We're going to open the phone lines right now. We've got a lot going on this morning. I, uh, I got up early this morning. Not early enough. I did wake up the first time at 5 o'clock just like I had planned on, but somehow I fell back asleep, and when I opened my eyes again, it was 7 o'clock, and I was still in Destin. So uh, I thought I wasn't going to be able to make it over to Fleet Air Filter. And then I looked at it and thought, you know what? If I just hustle, I think I can make it. So I hustled and I'm here. And uh, because of that, David Counts, the founder of Fleet Air Filters, is here with me. David, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. How are you? Great. I, uh, I hustled over here from Destin this morning and I made it just in time. And uh, I'm all set up here at your place. Hey, that's pretty cool. You know, the last time we did this, I think, was the first time you ever done it. I was thinking that as I was heading here this morning. The very first show we ever did from an RV was here in your parking lot because you sold me the RV and installed the satellite system and built me a studio. And we tested it one night here, one day. We did the show on the weekend. And uh, you know what I remember about it? We had a crazy thunderstorm. It was oh, yeah. the thunder and lightning through the whole show was just rattling the RV. It was such a such a wild storm, but we, we got through it. Everything worked great, and uh, we've been doing it ever since. Well, hopefully we don't have no thunderstorm today. I think there's rain later tonight, but hopefully we'll get to pass that this time. Yeah, it doesn't look like, uh, doesn't look like it's going to get too wild. So um, things look a little different around here, too, since the last time I was here. Man, it's it's a lot different uh, between new buildings and new machines, and um, it's the same old parking lot though. I mean, we stay pretty busy. You know, we usually keep I don't know somewhere around forty to sixty units on the yard all the time. So um, you know, it's a good problem to have. We're blessed to have what we have. So every every time I come here, you are just slammed. I mean, you've got a big parking lot, but it never looks like it because it's uh, it tests your driving skills to move around in here. Absolutely. So what's uh, what's new and exciting with fleet air filters? It sounds like you got a lot of stuff going on. Um, I think I think most people know we actually moved uh, fleet to Alabama now. Uh, we do everything in-house except for the spinning of the aluminum round filters. Uh, all the oblong and all that stuff, this all machined here in-house. Uh, we're doing our own foam now. Uh, we sew everything here. It's gotten better as far as like being able to control a little more of, of our inventory and stuff. We're still at some mercy on like our spun pieces, of course, because they're done actually in Indiana. But um, it's better. I mean, I, I don't think we keep as many back orders as we used to keep. And hopefully it's getting better. You know, that's the main thing. But it's it's good. I mean, you know, it's it's we have new filters on the drawing board. Um, our twenty five ninety nine, which is the international filter, is becoming really popular. Uh, I guess the main thing there is that they just don't have um, the OEMs in stock. I mean, I think that's a big problem. But oh it's yeah, funny how you you take one filter and all of a sudden it just grows. You know, like you know, it's like a thirty five eighteen was our most popular filter for years, and uh, it's still the most popular filter. But the twenty five ninety nine is catching it. So okay. Yeah, boy, it's nice to say now they're uh, they're hand built here in Alabama. Yes, everything's hand built. We don't have but three people that uh, puts them together. 
So our, our quality control's pretty good. I mean, yeah. we don't make very many mistakes, but you know, we're not perfect. But uh, and everything is uh, usually we build the filters and we have housings we actually try them in. So um, they, you know, they have to be 100 percent before they leave the shop. Awesome. So uh, all we have to figure out now is if we can manage to squeeze one into this coach somehow. <laughs> we can do it. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure. I'm sure you can. It, it, uh, you could do just about it. it. You know, every time I come here, I, I always feel like hanging out for a couple weeks because there's always cool stuff you could do on my coach. But uh, I know how busy you guys are too. Yeah, we can. You know, we can make anything happen on them. I put air intake systems on them before in the past, and um, you know, we've like some of the coaches have like a non-serviceable filter you know that's in a housing and uh, we take those housings and pull them apart and then we make a replacement filter that actually fits that housing oh okay i do a bunch of those i probably do probably 10 to 20 of those a month i mean that's kind of average yeah that's quite Um, a bit actually yeah that's that's pretty good for the motorhome you know that kind of has to just be all word of mouth right it is on that because I don't really push that a whole bunch, right. you know. But but being that we're kind of in the motorhome world too, I mean, you know, I guess probably say two or three a month that comes in. I mean, they you know they want them. Yeah, they're telling their friends and that <laughs> just escalates from there. Yeah, I was thinking the other day I was um, in an RV park, like I've been a lot on this trip, and I could make a living just traveling around and parking in RV parks and helping guys with. We could tune. You know, because I've got the remote tune set up from Pittsburgh Power with me, um, your filters. There's a lot we could help them with. Here's the other thing about them, and you know this. Uh, they've got money. I mean, the big coaches, if, if they're out here running, the money's not that big of an issue for them. So, you know, I've even tried to talk them out of some upgrades. They'll, they'll, we'll be talking about it, and I'll explain it to them, and I'll go, look, you know, it's, you're only putting a couple thousand miles a year on your coach. It's just not going to be worth it. Well, I want one anyway. That's usually the attitude. It, you know, we see that a lot. I mean, you know, people come in, and, and they want certain things done to them. Well, you know, in my world, everything has to be feasible. Right. And so, you know, if a guy wants to come in, he wants to spend $2,500 on putting the air intake system on and putting a filter in his coach, it's just not feasible. I mean, but on the other hand, for what he gains, I I think that he feels that, you know, over a two or three year period, it would pay for itself, which it will. But we expect to pay for our filter in three months, you know, if it's in a semi. So, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Same thing. I mean, even with an OPS. I mean, I love the idea of an OPS on the coach, but I haven't bothered to put one on yet because um, I, I just don't need to change the oil that often. It, and it's not even the cost. It, it's just the time of getting back there and doing it. And it, you can't really cost justify it. I, I don't change the oil all that often anyway. Uh, it, so a lot of it is just pure cost. I mean, I, I'd like to have a fast system on this. But again, I, I'll never recover the cost. No, I, I, you know, I think the biggest thing that I could see in a, a coach that would help is like your remote tuning. Yeah. Because most of the coaches are so down on power, and and I mean, if you're if you're running a big hill, I mean, they're wide open trying to get up them, so the fuel consumption is out the roof. If you had more power and you could get up at a half throttle, I could see a benefit, but. Yeah, you know, mine um, had gotten to the point where it was just a dog. I mean, it, it's 
it's rated factory rating at 525 horsepower. That should be plenty for the kind of weight we're pulling around. And I was struggling to get up some hills with the, if I had the trailer behind me. So the last time I was at Pittsburgh Power and I spent a couple weeks there and I, I really had time. Um, I would pull it in at night when everybody was gone and work on it. And it went through and found every boost leak. And you know how hard that is on one of these. You can't get to any of the piping that has the boost leaks. Yeah, on on a motorhome, man, there is just no room to do anything. I mean, um, you have to be a little bitty guy to get up inside of yeah. them. Work on them. Thank, yeah. thank God we have Ron that works here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, you should hire ex ex jockeys. Yes, I yeah. agree. Yeah. So, we, you know, with enough time, we, we figured it out. I had to tear the bedroom apart and go down through the top on some and then take wheels off so we could get up through the wheel wells and other places and put a whole new charger cooler in it and fixed all the boost leaks, took that uh, plugged up catalytic converter off. Uh, I don't know. You, you probably didn't even really notice if you hear me coming in. This has got straight pipes now. There's no muffler on this. I didn't even notice that. Of course, you, I, you know, you, you really he was don't. Backing in when I was pulling in. So. Yeah, it's it's surprising that that second turbo because this is an Acer with the twin turbos. That second turbo really knocks down the noise quite a bit. Right, I could I could see that in the driver's seat. I can't tell a bit of difference going down the highway. I just can't hear anything, just like before. The only difference now is when the Jake brake comes on. It's got a really nice rumble. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of nice. And it, it freed up that exhaust, and, and now I think we've got this tuned to maybe somewhere between 650 and 700 horsepower, and it is just a pleasure to drive. And my fuel economy went up. See, like, you know, my toter, uh, it's got the little Mercedes. I say little Mercedes. It's got the 500 Mercedes in it. And that thing gets six miles to the gallon, <laughs> loaded, unloaded, uphill, downhill. It don't matter. I know. It, it, uh, same here. The, you know, the weak link in these things, the biggest problem is that transmission. You know, it's smooth. It shifts really nice, but it is horribly inefficient. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think with my motorhome, of course, it's, I mean, your motorhome is pretty heavy itself. I mean, mine's extremely heavy. Then we stack the trailer on top <laughs> of it. And, you know, it's 87 foot long. I mean, oh, I Yeah. Yeah, there you I go. Mean, and then, you know, I guess it's got so much wind drag on it that it's just crazy. But it is. It's kind of funny. I, I, I'll run down, like in the south, and, you know, the roads are pretty flat. We don't have a lot of hills. And it gets 6.2, 6.4 in that window. If I leave here and I go towards Montgomery, and once I pass Montgomery and I'm starting to get into Birmingham and all that, it drops to like five miles to the gallon. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And like we were talking about, it's really not worth trying to do the modifications to fix it. It's not. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's not feasible. I mean, of course, it's got a fleet air filter in it, but, you know, that's all I've done to it. And I think we put synthetics in the front end, the rear end, but, you know, that's pretty much the only thing that's been done to it. And, yeah. and it did help it. I mean, I picked up you know, another half mile per gallon just by doing those two things to it. But, you know, from five and a half to six, it's not a whole lot. <laughs> no, it's really not. You know, if, if you're running 100,000 miles a year, that's a significant savings. If you're running less than 10,000, it's just not 
worth the cost savings. And then the other issue, um, I doubt that I could reasonably put an OPS and a FAST on this. There's no room. That's true, too. Yeah, the engine compartment and those things is extremely tight. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I am happy with it. I just had it in. Mine was in the shop for 10 months. Um, did a bunch of new stuff inside and out. It was just time for a refresh. I'm at almost 200,000 miles on this thing, and most of these never see that kind of mileage. Yeah, my, you know, most motorhomes that I see come in has less than 100,000 on them. Um, I, if I had to say an average, I'd say really an average is about 50,000. Yeah. We probably yep. see that comes in the door. But usually at that point, they're, you know, eight, ten years old exactly. or even older. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, ne- so, it's never a fact you're going to wear it out. It's always a fact that just don't get used. Yep. Yep. So, you know, this morning was, uh, was kind of an unusual morning. I didn't tell you I was coming. You and I haven't talked in a while, probably since the last time you were on the show. Uh, I just headed this way, and I figured when I got close enough and I knew I was going to make it, I'd give you a call. You woke up and you were thinking about me this morning. How crazy is that? This is the craziest thing. You know, I, I actually, last night I had read some stuff on the AI stuff, you know, and because well, I'm, I'm like, I'm always interested in anything, you know, so. Yeah. And I was kind of intrigued by it. And I woke up this morning, I ain't talked to Kevin in a while. 20 minutes later, my phone rings and it's you. I'm like, man, did AI kick in? Or yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're listening. They're listening to our thoughts now. Before, I think you had to say something and then you would get, you know, 10 ads for it the next day. Now it's like you just think something and it happens. It's a little scary. It is. That, it's, that is so crazy. I mean, you know, and I, I even told Pam this morning, you know, I was talking to her. So I was thinking about Kevin last night, you know, this morning, you know. And then you called, and I, and I walked out, and I said, hey, I, you can believe who that was. And she said, hey, I said, that was Kevin. I'm like, hey. she said, oh, my God, really? I said, yes. But, you know, I, I can remember – you know, just recently we had a, we had some, you know, we got good, we got a huge customer base, you know? And so, uh, we was at like Walmart the other day walking through and I said, you know, I, I hadn't heard of uh, so-and-so lately, you know? And then we get back to the shop and, and they're there at the shop waiting on us. I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like we talked them up or I, something. something you know? Yeah. I know. The other thing, um, I bought, uh, well, I built a new Freightliner back in 2005, put all kinds of crazy technology on it, the uh, Smart Cruise and a bunch of other stuff. That truck, I have told this story so many times. When I ordered it, it was supposed to come in with a non-emission Mercedes. It was the only reason I ordered a Mercedes, because they were the last manufacturer that was building non-emission engines. So I ordered one. And the problem was that at the time, every other fleet in the country was ordering those and trying to get their non-emissions. And my order kept getting pushed back and they kept filling the fleet orders. By the time they built mine, they were out of non-emission engines. So I ended up with an emission engine and they were out of transmissions. And I ended up with a Meritor, which I didn't order. And both of those things turned out to be the biggest nightmare for me. I had more problems with that truck than probably any other truck I've owned. And then, of course, I sold it to you. (laughs) By that time, we had worked out most of the problems. It had been on FedEx for years, so it had quite a few miles on it. I took it off FedEx, and we were pulling our toy hauler with it for a while. And then, um, then I swapped it out for that Volvo I bought. You know, so many stories keep coming up that originated here. You bought that truck from me. 
and just sold it on this past Friday, you just told me. The other thing I'm thinking of, the when I sold that one to you and I bought that Volvo, that was the one I put a rod through the side of the block pulling into your parking lot. Yes, I remember that. That's that's crazy. Well, a little Freightliner, the cool thing about it, I mean, I pulled my, my race car hauler with that thing for, I don't know, probably a year or two. Maybe I'd say two years. Then I took it. We parked it, then we got into hauling empty containers, just like moving them to job sites and, you know, power plants and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So we reclassed it because I had classed it as a recreational. Right. So we reclassed it back to go into the working world, and um, we started hauling containers with it. Well, I had that truck, and I had a Peterbilt at the same time. So the Peterbilt, it it wasn't a stretch peat. It was a short peat. But it, it did have the tandems up under it. Mm-hmm. The little Freightliner would work circles around that truck. Oh, yeah. And and I mean that as far as, like, you could get in somewhere, and that thing would turn on a dime turning in. I mean, it was just super tight radius. I never had any problems out of it. And I, I mean, you talked before, you know, I think you said something about the fuel line would crack. And stuff oh, like yeah. That. Never had that. The only problem that I've ever had out of it, and we just discussed this earlier, is I had put new batteries in it, and I had the batteries disconnected for a couple of days because I was waiting on the people to bring me the batteries, and put them in, and the transmission don't shift now. <laughs> it shifts manually, but it it won't shift automatically. So. It, 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 at some point, it'll start shifting correctly again. We just don't know when it's going to happen. Yeah. You know, I, I think that maybe what's happened is it's lost its memory in the, the computer for the transmission controller. I mean, yeah, it seems like it. I can imagine. Yeah. And that was a problem. It, it had that Meritor that they only sold in this country for a year or two. Then there was a big lawsuit with Eaton. And so they stopped selling the Meritor and they also stopped servicing it. You can't find anybody that knows how to work on those things. So. I had a nightmare with that, with that transmission and spent a fortune on it and never really did get it fixed. That's crazy. Like I say, I never had a minute's problem out of it. And, I, and it, you know, we probably put 60,000 miles on it, I guess, the whole time I've had it because, you know, most of the areas that we go is less than 100 miles away from our office. So Yeah. Yeah, I probably put 30,000 on it after I took it off FedEx, pulling the toy hauler around, and I never had a problem either. But three times over the years, I had to have it towed back in a long way because it would just lock into top gear and nothing you would do. You could disconnect the batteries. You could do whatever you wanted. When you put it all back together, it was still in top gear. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, it's it's got to be something with a controller or something in it doing that. Yeah. But yeah. It seems like those transmissions are extremely heavy built, though. Yeah, I think they were. I mean, I I think it was a good transmission. It had had a lot of potential. It it when it worked, I was happy with the performance of it. It's just when it didn't work and you couldn't get anybody that knew anything about it, it was just frustrating. We you know we had to put uh, a PTO on it to run our hydraulic pump for our uh, container trailer. Oh, okay. And I I ended up calling the place that made the pump system for it. And I told him what transmission is in it, and his words were, what is it again? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. This is the Meritor. Yep. You know, he's like, oh, my God, I don't know if we make a kit for it. Luckily, he had a kit in stock that would fit that Meritor. Really? Boy, what are the odds of that? 
Yeah. That was like slim to none. Yeah. And uh, I, I think the guy even made a comment, you know, I don't think I've ever sold one of those. <laughs> I'll bet not. Yeah. Interesting. So uh, you were telling me this morning you got some new filters on the drawing board. Yep, we got we got a few new filters on the drawing board, which I you know I have honestly I probably have about fifteen of them. Uh, we just try to take our phone calls. You know, when people call and they say, hey, I got you know a twenty twenty three P. You know, I need a filter, and then we just kind of log that. Then that's the filter we'll build. You know, we do it based off the phone calls that we receive or, you know, the people going on our website or emailing us or whatever. Um, Because I I, I don't build a filter. First of all, most people know us. If if I can't make that filter work and be a benefit to you, I don't build it. And when when you say that, you know, I want to clarify. One of the benefits to your filter is it's a lifetime filter. So, I mean, there's a there's a savings in the filter. And also, if filter's better. Than, than a paper filter does. So there, there's two benefits to every filter you would build in my mind. What you're saying is you also want that third benefit of increased airflow that you can see. Right. So if I can't see that or I can't physically see any kind of improvement over, over the OEM, at this point, I just shut it off. I just won't build it. Now, that doesn't mean I won't never build it because I may have a better idea, you know, six months or eight months or two years later. Right. You know, I, I may actually get where I can say, okay, you know, instead of putting a cone in it, we can, you know, change the direction of air by lightening the, the foam up itself, you know. But it, it's it's most people, they, I mean, I get people that calls me and they're upset. Well, you don't make a filter for my truck, <laughs> but I can't be a benefit to you. Right. Right. Yeah. So, and, you know, it, it, it's kind of interesting. I've said this before. Uh, after I met you and we really started focusing on the filter, the housing, the airflow, all that stuff that you focus on on every filter, um, I came to the conclusion, I think the air filter and the housing is like the last piece of the puzzle the engineers work on. And it's just the whole truck's built. Now, where can we squeeze in an air filter? It, it seems like that's how they build these things. And, and then you go in and say, oh, hold on. We can improve this. You know, I, what we see a whole lot of is that, you know, they put these 600-horse motors in the truck. Then at the last minute, like you said, they try to stuff a filter in it. Well, then they put a filter that's really only good for about a 300-horse. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure how they get their numbers sometimes because, you know, are, are they generating the numbers off of an engine dyno? You know, just with a generic filter on it, and they say, okay, you know, this motor's making 600 horsepower. Or do they literally have the motors in there, and, and they go to a chassis dyno, and they actually dyno the motor with the hood down right. in real-world areas? You know, I, I'm a I'm a big dyno guy. I mean, I, I build a lot of motors. I dyno a lot of motors. I, I can tell you, heat has a lot to do with a naturally aspirated carburetor or fuel-injected motor, gas. Right. You know, just clean air period or clean filters period is huge a huge difference. Yes. You know, with the semis, I I see like our air intake tubes, uh, they make them too long or they neck them down too far or they put a T pipe in them instead of a Y pipe. Yes. And that's a huge difference. It's it's on the flow bench when you've seen it, you would like 
why did they even make a pipe? <laughs> right. Yeah, you're you're forcing air to make a ninety degree turn. Yeah, on a sharp edge. Right. Yeah, it's awful. I mean, so if if they would make it, you know, like a, a ten inch radius or an eight inch radius, you know, in a six inch pipe, the airflow is so different than a ninety degree um, with a sharp edge. It's it's mind-boggling. Yeah. Yeah, so, and that's the beauty of what you do. You get in there and focus on every aspect of that intake, the filter, the flow, and like you said, if you work on one, you can't really produce enough improvement in that airflow. You just don't build that filter. No. And sometimes, you know, things I see, Kevin, is, is like the air intake box or the, the housing is pretty good. But then they get a, a aerodynamic truck and they shut the hood. Then it's breathing through the sides of the hood. Well, you can't even get your hand. <laughs> if you take the, the screen off on the outside, you can't even get your hand through it. So if you dyno the truck with the hood down, you got one number. Mm-hmm. You raise the hood and you dyno it again and you got another number. Well, that goes to show you that the hood is the restriction. Yep. Yep. I mean, another thing that's huge that, that I... I focused on a whole lot back in the day was, you know, they got the grills over the hood vent, right? You know, it's just a decorative piece. Right. So if you took that piece and you drew it out, like in my computer, if I drew it out, then I wanted to know how much that decorative piece actually deflects air. You would fall out of your chair (laughs) because (laughs) if you take that and you condense it down and you only have a hole that's eight inches but then you condense the piece down as a solid and put it over the hole. It's covering half the hole. Wow. So now we're at four inches. Yeah. They expect a 600-horse motor to breathe on a four-inch air tube. No, it don't work that way. Yeah, it's like trying to hold your nose and run a four-minute mile. Yeah. Well, if you look out your window right now, you see that international sitting right in front of you? Yeah. So, so if you look at the side vents on the hood, that's where it, it breathes from. Yeah, that's a problem. So so if you close, if you took that and made that a solid piece, how much open air do you actually have? Yeah, not much. So, you know, in the day, and, and I've done this on my own trucks, I, I don't recommend it for everybody, but I went in and drilled holes in the bottom of my air canister and picked up huge numbers. But, you know, it's hard to tell a guy that's just spent, you know, $100,000 or $125,000. Hey, man, go in and drill holes in the bottom of it. Let's pick go, up half mile per gallon. Let's go drill some holes and stuff, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, I did stuff like that back in the day just to, to how, figure out. That's how you learn. Yep, that's exactly right. David, you and I could, could do this all day long. And actually, after the show, I, I plan on hanging out with you the rest of the day if you'll have me. Sure. Oh, absolutely, man. All right. We got some cool stuff. Yeah, we uh, we have two other guests scheduled today, so I've got to move along on the show here, and uh, I will be talking to you right after I get off the air. Hey, real quick, though. um, If somebody wants to know more about Fleet Air Filter, what's the best thing they should do right now? Um, I mean, you can go to our website, fleet-airfilters, or you can give us a call, 251-654-654. Zero eight nine two. Excellent. Um, Brian is 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 one of the uh, lead guys here. Um, you can talk to him. He's full of knowledge about you know what you need and what you don't need. But um, you know, 
You can give us a buzz or shoot us an email, either one. Absolutely. And I will say I, I love the idea. They're hand-built here in Alabama, and your customer service is top-notch. Yep. Fantastic. We, we try super hard. Yeah, you do, and it shows. All right, David, we'll be talking soon. Thanks for joining me. Yes, sir. Thanks a lot. All right, take care. All right, uh, busy day going on today. We, we've got a lot going on. Um, our next guest will be coming up here shortly. I'm going to grab a call real quick while we're uh, we're screening the guest and getting them in here. Let's go to Alabama. Mark, welcome. Good morning. Uh, I backed, I, I've been there once before. I backed my car hauler in probably where you're sitting there when I went in to, to get some clean filters. And uh, it, I mean, everybody there is awesome. So you can put a car hauler in there. So yeah, you can it's take a ride uh, out front and back straight up in there. Yeah, when you when you first look in the parking lot, it's a little. Uh, uh, it's always crowded in here. Always, they're always slammed with with vehicles, and they're they're always working on a lot of stuff. But um, there's always some room to get around. So so yesterday on the spaces, I told you, hey, I posted that video of that woman broker, and so I posted another one. So I don't know, some guy come on there and block me this morning because he said end the discussion on all that. But I thought when I was listening to that. She was talking about, basically, it sounded like you, sounded like you in a female voice saying what you always say, and but I think she explained it pretty, pretty more uh, to the point about how, how where the money is, how it goes, and and the fact that you know it's your responsibility to, and you know it's like none of these these shippers out here they're not worried about what our bottom line they're worried about their bottom line and well yeah they're worried about making a profit hold on a second and let's be real about this let's be honest uh are we really concerned about anybody else's business's bottom line no and we shouldn't be no we're not we're just we we shouldn't be we have no control over their bottom line just like they have no control over ours we have control over our own bottom line that's where we should be focused and yet it, it, the, the push in the industry is to focus on the broker margin. Like, why the hell does that matter? That, that's their business. They, well, they, they, number, go ahead. Well, that's true. That's true. But it also, they don't understand how, how it all works. They, they, they have this myth that the broker, it's, it's what they do. Well, see, she made the point there. You've made that before about how a broker is really your sales department. They yes. go out and do the sales that you can't do. So if you want to, you know, it, it costs to have sales because they have to go out and find the business. You don't have enough time to do that in a single truck operation out here. I mean, granted, you can find a customer here or there through long-term relationships and all like that. But over the, over the long haul, you don't have a sales, you, you know, you don't have a sales department unless you get to a certain, like TJ, maybe he has a sales department, but you got to, that's what they do. And, right, and until right. you build a relationship with carriers that have their own freight and extra freight, like I've done, you've got to, you can't go out and make sales calls. And you, people will come to you and they say, I want you to haul my vehicles. I'm like, well, I got one truck and I really can't haul all of your vehicles. I can't be in all these places it, at right, one time. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you so know, there's the, and they play the victim to everything like, oh, poor me. Oh, poor me. Well, Jesus Christ. Not poor you. Well, let me let me highlight yeah. what you just said. You said they don't understand how the system works. 
And I, I see you were kind of going back and forth with somebody on social media a little bit ago. And, and I jumped in because here's the, here's the statement they make. Brokers are the problem. Why in every other industry, if you want to do business with another company, you can pick up a phone, but not in the trucking industry. Brokers are problematic. Well, that is a completely ignorant statement. Nothing stops you from picking up the phone and calling a shipper and scheduling a sales call and going in there and trying to sell your services to them. What does he mean like in every other industry? That's exactly how it works here. If you want a customer, pick up the phone and call them. What's his problem? So I have, a, I have an example. So the other day, Friday, uh, there's a, a carrier that I have a relationship with. I've only done a couple loads, but I've been very cordial with the person that I've dealt with. Well, I don't know if you remember, I called and said, hey, the guy, my main customer, retired. He walked out on Friday or whatever. So this guy, who's actually best friends with him, is going to that company. And I called him and I said, hey, I heard you were coming to work at company XYZ. Yeah. And I said, I, once you get settled in, I'm going to come out there and you can put a face to my name and visit with you. And he's like, I'd love that. There you go, right yeah, there. That, that's, I, that's what I did. I was pro, pro, proactive in that. And so I'll take him a bunch of pies or a cake yeah, right. or something like that. Exactly. And, you know, and, you know, just to let him know, here I am and, you know. So, so now, I really care about you and go ahead. Yeah. Well, I want to address that video because I saw a couple comments about it and I don't disagree actually with the comments. So what she said, the words that she said, had they been in text, they would have come across much better because she said all the yeah. right things. Everything she said was true. Unfortunately, delivery matters. And it's funny because I'm reading a book right now. And we, maybe we've all heard these statistics before, but it, it doesn't always sink in. The, the number is something like less than 10% of our message is the words. The other 90%, it, it, you can say the same words so many different ways. And we're not even talking about changing the order of the words. We're talking about tone, inflection, pace. If it's face-to-face, then it, it gets even crazier because you've got gestures and eye movements and grins and frowns and facial expressions. All of that speaks way louder than the words themselves. And unfortunately, and, and maybe this is, it doesn't come across this way for everybody, but I had to fight to listen to her words because her tone and delivery annoyed the hell out of me. It sounded like she was yeah. whining. It sounded like she was really condescending. And it, because of that, her, and, and like I say, I bring this up because I'm reading the book right now. And that video should be used as an example in this book. She had a great message. I agreed with almost everything she said. I've said all those things myself, but her delivery, in my opinion, was absolutely awful. Yeah, well, I found uh, that, that, that uh, company that deals with Pittsburgh Power that has a big, they're, they, they're leased to Landstar, Blue Ribbon Logistics. They, yeah. they actually had her on a couple of YouTubes. That's how I found out who she was, because I've I come across that, and I just listened, and it was. Just, yeah, and, and the reason they, I think the reason they brought her on there is because she seems to trigger all these people with. Uh, I, you know, that, the, that might be a strategy. 
that might actually be a strategy. I know Larry, uh, the owner of Blue Ribbon. Larry's a great guy. Uh, Larry was our, our official photographer at the CMC for years. Larry's been to a ton of CMCs because he came every year as our official photographer. He used to run a photography business before that whole industry got decimated. Um, yeah. yeah, so Larry's a great guy. Maybe, maybe that's the reason. Maybe he, it's, it's meant to annoy people. Yeah, well, you know, if, if some, she listens to these people day in and day out, play the victim, play the victim, then again, she's also a woman, not to, but that, you know. No, it matters. Very typical, but. It, it matters. Yeah, that, that you know, people, t- yeah, in the trucking industry, it's, it's a little tougher for women. Cause it it's is. Because it's traditionally been a man's, a man's sport, and they t- tend to look down, you know, well, you're a woman, you should be in the house cooking or, you know, having I- kids or whatever. And, and so I think that there's a lot of that in there that, you know, m- maybe leads to her mannerisms like that, that she's sick of hearing the, I'm the, victim, sure. the victim out, um, yeah. the victimization that these people portray all, all along, because, you know, as you said, and it, I found that, you know, I had to learn the hard way. It's like, you have to build relationships. And I was listening to another podcast yesterday from a, and it was, it was in the car hauling business. And one of the, uh, uh, uh the people that runs a, a, a car, a, a truck, a car hauling trucking company, a big one. He said the number one thing going forward in this economy is just, is exactly, it sounded like he'd been listening to you, relationships, uh, build it, relationships. It, that it. will get it's, you through the hard times. Yep, yep. Hey, one quick story about women in, in this industry, and then I've got to get our guests on. Um, one of the best stories I heard about this. The founder of NAIT, the National Association of Independent Truckers. It's an association, but they're really a big insurance company with a couple features. Um, nothing wrong with that, but they don't have a ton of you know association benefits. More about insurance. The woman who started it, it and I met her and and uh, worked with them for a while. And and the story she told me was she was so broke, and this was when she was younger, she was so broke, she was dating so she could eat. You know, she would date, she would go out on a date so she could get dinner, and she was struggling to make it. She got a job as a receptionist at a truck insurance company. And after she had been there a while, she went to the owners and said, hey, look, I think I could really sell insurance. Why don't you give me a chance? And they, she said they actually kind of laughed at her. And that we're going back now into the 80s here. And she said, they, they kind of laughed at me and said, no, you don't understand. Women can't sell insurance in this industry. And no matter how hard she tried, they would not let her go sell insurance. Well, she started her own agency. She ultimately sold that company for $80 million. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So it, it may be tough for them. And it is, but don't underestimate him because she built a hell of a business. She had a big office building in Kansas City that she owned the whole building that was part of the sale. It was a very well-run company. So, Mark, I got to cut you loose. I got to get my uh, got to get okay. my guest in here. It's uh, it's been kind of a crazy morning already. I don't want to hold these guys up any longer. Uh, guys and women, Tyler and Angie. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Great. Um, great good to morning. He- yeah, good morning, Angie. Uh, great to meet you, Tyler. It was good to see you again a couple weeks ago. We hadn't uh, hadn't crossed paths in a while. 
I know, man. I was uh, thinking about when we first met. Was I think nineteen ninety eight? Sounds right. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah, sounds right. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, I was on the recruiting recruiting drivers side at that particular time, and uh, working with Pollard Publishing and, <clears throat> and also American Graphics Group, and you were writing articles for us. I was uh, Brad Bentley. Yeah. Yeah. Haven't heard about from Brad in a long time. Brad and I used to talk wrestling all the time because I was a high school wrestling coach, and he was an awesome um, high school wrestling referee. Yeah, and he wrestled. I wrestled in high school as well, and um, we actually wrestled his team. Really? Um, or at least his his school. Yeah. I never met him, but yeah. Yeah, uh, I didn't realize that. I got third that. in the regionals was about about my biggest deal. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't I can't brag too much about my wrestling career. It was kind of mediocre. You know, I was I was pretty strong locally, but once we got into uh, you know Northeast Ohio was a wrestling stronghold. Um, oh yeah. At least that's my excuse. Uh, I never made it all that far in the uh, the postseason. I can claim that I missed a trip to state by two points. I got beaten oh the regionals by two points, but that was actually my second loss. They were always double elimination tournaments, so that's about yeah, as close as right. I got. So with Angie, just to get, you know, we were, it was interesting listening to your discussion about the women in trucking. Uh, Angie's been in trucking in some form or fashion, either as a supporter of her husband or with truckstop.com for forever, too. Well, Angie, congratulations. It's a tough business. Oh, yes, it is. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you have it, it, lots of stories. Yeah, when we had our own trucking company, I was I would find the loads for my husband, so it was it was a challenge. Oh, yeah, you learn a lot doing that, though. Oh, yeah, yep. Yeah. We, we had our trucking business when the Olympics was in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I found him the best loads of ice coming from Phoenix to Salt Lake. It paid really well. There you go. That's right. You got to love that stuff. So, um, yeah, it's Tyler. It's always fun catching up. You and I could probably talk for a couple hours. I don't think anybody wants to hear that. We'll do it over a beer sometime. But uh, tell us what's going on now. You're, you're in. Uh, you're with a, a brand new venture. I, I ran into you at the uh, the Nastic conference, and and as soon as I saw what you were doing, I was interested in it. Um, I, yeah. You know, it, 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 technology in trucking right now is kind of a wild place to be. I mean, you're aware of that truck stop and uh, convoy going out, and and a lot of the digital brokers are really struggling right now. They never really solved the problem. They didn't crack the case, and and then we hit some rough times. So um, they're dropping pretty quick. There's uh, there's almost there was this huge rush of money into truck tech, and now it's kind of fading, but. There's some good stuff that's going to come out of that, and I think this company's one of them. So why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, that, I thank you, and I appreciate that. I think the evolution of what has taken place in the industry, and that you and I, and most of us, really, because our industry has aged up there, but we've watched it happen from thinking about, you know, are people going to be able to use a smartphone, or how do we get them off a flip phone, or are they going to be able to do uh, any kind of technology upgrades <clears throat> on their computers? Or, And the next thing you know, we are not only uh, using smartphones for everybody, but it, the technology in the actual trucks themselves, much less being able to, you know, hook into the laptops and the, you know, 
for all of the things that they need to do for digital, uh, you know, anything that we log, all our log books, the permits. So what, what happened for us is that one of the last bastions of um, digitizing anything for the trucking industry is in the permit book side because everybody we talk to literally has some sort of documents that they have to put in a permit book inside the cab. So the owner of my company basically said, hmm, there's got to be a better way. We can digitize this and make it easier for those that are in flip seat, you know, moving from truck to truck or, or you know, basically having to uh, carry around paper inside the house or losing it or leaving it in the <laughs> So we digitized this to a company and we call it Benchels. And so what we've done basically is put this uh, in the hands of the admin so that updated documents and credentials for not just permits, but any kind of credential for the tractor, trailer, and even for the driver, their CDL or Medcar can be stored on this. And it's on an easy to use app. So the app goes with them wherever it's uploaded from the, um, from the home office and basically they have it automatically when it's uploaded and then if they get pulled over if there's a wreck or a way station or what for whatever reason if it's need to be shown or even shared it's done from the app which is either on a tablet or you know ipad or a phone and it's real easy to move over to whomever's standing at the window asking for it right right um, basically what we've done is try to bring this next step and automating this for uh, all sides of trucking companies. It doesn't matter if it's one truck or 10,000 or 100,000 trucks. And that's pretty much it in a nutshell. That should help our conversation. Yeah, you know, and, and one of the things I want to address, just um, technology in general, and everybody's getting a little leery about you know, who has my information and, and, you know, what am I exposing myself to if I use this app? Uh, one of the things we have to remember so I, I'm I'm a big fan of this kind of stuff. I mean, I like technology. I realize we've got to be careful of some of it. Um, but, for example, a, a kind of a, a correlating um, piece of software here would be Apple's wallet. You know, you can put your credit cards in there. Um, now I see they have, I think I saw five or six states the other day that allow you to put a digital copy of your license in there. And it's it's legitimate if you get pulled over. You can store, you can put your, you know, travel itineraries and your tickets in there as e-tickets. It's really convenient. And honestly, um, I hate carrying a wallet. I've got my wallet down to my driver's license and two credit cards, one business, one personal. And that's all I carry. And if I could just have that on my phone, I would be much happier. Now, a lot of people are going to say, oh, hell no, I don't want any more information on my phone. Here's the problem with that thinking. The DMV has all of your information digitally. The DMV is a whole lot easier to hack, and people are going to think this is crazy. The DMV is way easier to hack than it is to hack my phone, especially with an Apple. The government can't even hack an iPhone. They have to go to Apple to get them, force them to hack into the phone if they want to get somebody's information. That's how tight the security right. is on that phone. And... The scammers over in Russia, North Korea, and China, and Iran, they don't want to do all that work to get one person's information. They can go to the DMV and get a million people's information 
in one shot. And that's usually where we have the big data breaches. It's not on anybody's laptop or iPad or their phone. Nobody's hacking into those things. It's too much work and there's no reward. So they go after the big databases. All of your bank account information is already online at your bank. All of your credit card information is there at the credit card company. Your license is at the DMV. Your insurance is somewhere. Everything is online. And you can't control all the places that they go hack. So I don't worry about putting this kind of stuff on my phone because it's safer there than anywhere. If they're going to hack me, they're going to do it through some big data breach at some company that holds my information. Well, the bottom line for all of it is is that uh, we all have vulnerabilities no matter where we are and what we do and where we store it. The thing about the Apple uh, system is that it is the most secure in the world. It's incredible, actually, like you said. And, and what the government has actually seen, and we went and lobbied, by the way, in 2019 for this, the uh, principles of this company, and they got it um, approved for all 50 states and all of Canadian provinces as well. So in that time, what the, part of the selling point was is that it is a lot more secure. And being able to put that on a, a digital app, uh, basically all it is is carrying that paperwork in, um, in a digital form. The, the idea of somebody uh, losing that and, and you know, leaving it somewhere is, is really what pushed this. Well, we'll have this digital format in an app and, and com- more control from the home office. So there is no more, hopefully, uh, lost paperwork or slowing down the process of getting the actual loads. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, as soon as I saw it, like I said, I, I'm a big fan of anything that can simplify my life on the road, simplify my business, give me access to the things that sometimes when somebody asks for it, I don't know where it is. I got to go dig through stuff. So for me, this is, this is one of those kind of technology pieces. That's just a no brainer to me. That's right. And you know, here's the interesting thing too. Angie in particular is uh, head of the implementation team. So she actually works with the customers inside the office to help educate, train, upload and show how that does. And of course, Angie hadn't said anything yet, so we want to open this up for you just a little bit. Do you mind kind of talking about what you do? That's what I was just going to yeah, ask her too. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I'm taking control. Yeah. Go ahead, Angie. So when we first sign up a customer, I help them get their, you know, all their credentials uploaded, their equipment, their trucks, their drivers. And when we're uploading drivers, um, when it's a big, trucking company and they run the um, clearinghouse reports at the end of the year, I always tell them the more information that you can provide, the better, just because that clearinghouse report comes directly from the FMCSA website. It's like the template. And so if they upload the driver's license number, the state they're licensed in, you know, it just helps at the end of the year running those clearinghouse reports. As for the app, the mobile app, I think it is the most user-friendly app I have ever used. It's so simple, you know, it's just, you see the equipment that you're assigned to, that your manager's assigned you to, you click on it and you can go right to the credentials and see all the, like the registration, the trailer registrations, if there's any oversized, overweight permits, they're right there. And then also if they have their 
um, driver's license and their medical card uploaded, they can see when it's going to expire right then as well. So they don't have to pull it out of their wallet and, or try and find their medical card paper to see when it expires. It's right there. And it, it will notify them 30, 60, or 90 days before it's going to expire. So it's pretty user-friendly. I was amazed when I saw it. It, it really is. And that's, that's why I kind of called this one a no-brainer. This is one of those issues when I'm on the road, I've got all these documents I'm not going to be asked for them very often. When I do, they're you know I got to figure out where they are. I got to drag them out. Um, if I can free up all that brain power, right, where I don't have to think about this and I don't have to scramble around to get stuff. Once I sit down, I if we took a single truck owner operator and he wanted to put in every piece of data that he had that this program allows, how long do you think it would take him? Um, it wouldn't take very long. I had a company. Uh, couple weeks ago upload an 86 page manual and it was like within 30 seconds that it was uploaded so i mean it's it does not take very much time at all so you sit down you spend maybe a half hour playing around with the app and then you start uploading documents and pretty soon you've got all your documents in one place you know exactly where they are you get reminded about things if you need to Um, I, i can't think of a single reason not to use this exactly yeah, um, I just think that it's it's something that has needed to happen for a long time, uh, you know, bringing this to the digital world. I mean, it's the last piece of the trucking information that you need, and I I think, you know, I'm always telling everybody that I talk to that I know owns a truck about it, so. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, another I, thing, too, Angie, and, and, and Kevin, real quick, is yeah. that. When it does go into uh, noncompliance, we have an auto-renew, which will also help uh, stay in compliance. So if it looks like it's 30 days out or something, there's an alert on the app that also says, hey, listen, we can do this for you, or you can do it yourself. Just let us know. Wow. That's a nice feature. Yep. Yeah. All right. So um, let's just get down to, to business here. Um, Tyler, you know, most of our listeners here, either single truck owner operators or, or, uh, small carriers, and we've got some employee drivers that listen as well. So, you know, the employee drivers, so you could certainly let your fleet know about this app and, and they may be interested in it. The, um, the owner operators, the small carriers, if they wanted to use this app, what, what would it take? What should they do right now? Well, the bottom line really is it's eCredentials with an S dot com. And there are sign up features there. And what we also have are uh, the phone number. You can call me at uh, 256-225-2492. But truly going to the website, it will give you the phone number to either call us, uh, either Angie or I or somebody in the department will answer. But the main thing is you can sign up right there just from clicking online. And what will happen then is that we either reach out to you and we'll start the process of educating you or answering questions. But truly, it's that simple. And it's less than $50 a year. A year? A piece of equipment. Really? Holy cow. So it's very inexpensive. Yeah, it sure is. So, uh, Tyler, you're, you're a brave man. You just put out your personal cell phone number. You might be busy today. That'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> Give that one more time then. And it's 256-225-2492. Excellent. 
You know, the here, here's another beauty of this product. I mean, normally if I have a, a company on and there's a new product I'm interested, we almost always schedule an hour. Um, it, it's very seldom that I, I get through something like this in an hour. The thing about this, it's so powerful and yet so simple, but really explain it in about 10 minutes. That's right. That's right. The whole thing that we decided is the probably the most um, – um, attractive thing about it is that it is so simple. It does several things, but it's really under one deal, and that is to try to uh, streamline the uh, ability for a driver to have all of the credentials that they need in their hand at a fingertip touch. And, and it also helps the admin side. And share them so easily. It, it really is easily, easily accessed. Love it. Well, and one other thing that I'd like to cover is you don't have to be in cell service. If those credentials are uploaded while they're in cell service, when they go out of range, they have uh, access to all of those documents. Very good point. I'm glad you um, you made that clarification because that is an issue. You know, I, I've had some apps that I depend on and don't realize that if I lose cell coverage, the app doesn't work anymore. And that's always um, that's kind of a rude awakening when you realize that happened. Uh, so it's nice to know that uh, that's been taken care of on this. Yep. Well, fantastic. Can I give another phone number just in case? Absolutely. It's And this might be the best number. It's 205-245-5749. That's 205, which is an Alabama number. It seems like you're getting a lot of play from Alabama today. You, you're not kidding. 245-5749. Excellent. All right. Anything else you want to let anybody know before we wrap this up today? I'm good. I think we've probably said everything that needs to be said. Angie, have we gotten anything? Yeah, I think that's that's it. It's pretty simple to get signed up and start using it today. Fantastic. Uh, Tyler, where am I going to run across you next? I don't know, man. Are you in Alabama this week? I am in Alabama today. Uh, no, today and tomorrow. I'm actually going to, um, when I leave here, I'm heading up to Brent's house. Oh, nice. nice. Yeah. Yeah. Brent, well, Brent invited uh, me to never know. hang out. We're going to try to get to a couple of conferences. We know that we'll be at Matt's for sure. And uh, maybe some of the others that are satellite, but truly that's where we'll be making a big presence there at, at uh, Mid-America. Yeah, that'll be a big deal for you. you, you we, we need to talk about that. Um, we're, we're starting sure. to put together some thoughts on a big event that we'll do with uh, Truck Stop there. So um, we should talk about some other things we might be able to do at that show. So I'll see you there. Um, I know Brent okay. mentioned a TIA conference coming up at some point that he's already got me speaking, but I didn't pay attention to when. Oh, nice. Somewhere in Phoenix, Scottsdale, somewhere. I don't know. Sure. Yeah, so uh, I'll be there. Well, we will catch up again. Thanks so much for uh, taking some time out of your day and coming and educating us on a uh, cool new piece of software. Well, thank you so much for having us both. All right. We will talk to you Thank soon. Thank you, Kevin. It was nice meeting you. You're welcome. Great to meet you. Um, all right. It is a free-for-all. Phone lines are open, 855-950-3835. I will stay here today as long as you have calls and questions. So line them up. If you have a question, a comment, a topic, anything at all you want to talk about, pick up the phone and join me, 855 
950-3835. Let's go to Texas. Melody, welcome. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Doing wonderful. What's on your mind today? Oh, I want to start out by telling you a really funny story. Um, I'm in my first year of owning my very own truck. Well, I'm really excited. Congratulations. Back in that is exciting. Yeah. I bought it back in April and I um, financed it. And I was really not happy about the 16% interest rate. So I worked really hard and I even sold some things to pay it off. And I paid it off in October. Double congratulations. That is awesome. Yeah. But I want to tell you my funny story, and then um, I'd like to see if I can get a hold of Joel for a, uh, a fuel mileage consultation. Sure. But And this is what I learned um, when I had to borrow a truck and just to, like, run down and pick up a load while my truck was in the shop. So I got in the truck and, you know, pre-tripped and everything, and I was um, going out the driveway, and I got to the traffic light, and I stopped at it. And I was driving the truck, that truck, the way I would drive my truck. And I almost stalled it at the traffic light. And I was laughing because I'm like, wow, this thing is geared to where it will get much better, like, miles per gallon than my truck would get. My truck apparently is geared, like, pretty high. So uh, I'm learning some things. Um, I, I bought that truck because I wanted something um, very mechanically reliable. Okay. Because I am still learning about how to work on my truck. And oh, good for you. We've been just working on it. Um, I'm going to change the oil myself. I'm getting, like, good deals on, you know, oil and filters and things like that. And I'm just, you know, learning something all the time. But in my budget... The fuel mileage, like the uh, the fuel cost, is very high, and you're probably gonna like fall over and die. But I'm gonna fix I'm gonna fix this issue. My truck averages six point six to seven point zero miles per gallon. Okay, that's not awful. I, I mean, really, it. it, 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 it and here's here, well, here's why I, I say it's not awful. The fuel surcharge is based on six miles to the gallon. As long as you can beat six, you're never, fuel should never be the reason you go out of business. I don't care if fuel goes to $10 a gallon. It, actually, if fuel went to $10 a gallon, your profit would go up because you're above it, that. Yeah, it would. Yeah, because you have to add in the surcharge. <laughs> yeah, and, and because you're above the six that they base the surcharge on, the higher fuel goes, the more your profit actually goes up. People have a hard time understanding that. Now, it doesn't mean we want to sit here and, and settle for that. Of course not. But it's not awful. It's a good start. Um, do you have your truck specs? We could start talking about some things right now. I don't. And you know what? I have been looking for those. Um, I measured the wheelbase, and it's like 245 inches. It's long. It, the reason why we bought it is because it had a very good mechanic history, being a truck that pulled tankers for a cryogenic company. Okay, it took so very good care of it, and what, I got it for really low miles. What year and what, what model? It is a 2019 Freightliner Cascadia with a DD13 engine. I like this. I'm a fan of you, the. You I'm would a, like that truck. 
Yeah, I'm a it's fan so of the DD13. But yeah, it's a mid roof though, and I pull dry air. Oh, there's, there's. <laughs> that's my problem. That's one of your biggest fuel mileage challenges. You lose a half mile per gallon on that alone. Now, one of the, <clears throat> so the way we would approach fuel mileage. You had mentioned gear ratios. Do you happen to know what they are? Um, I was told like you can look at it on the inside of the like the door panel. Right. Um, I just know that it's like probably geared a little bit too high because. If I go 65 miles per hour, it's in like the 1300, um, 1300 RPM range. Okay. So just just to clarify something, this gets really confusing and a lot of people make this mistake. What you're really trying to say is your gear ratio is too low. The number itself is higher. So this is why it gets confusing. A higher number. So if we go back to really old school stuff, um, we used to deal with yeah, gear ratios. Like, like the lower the gear, the, um, you know, if you're at a slow speed and then a high gear, then your engine's going to, you know, yeah, so, that's kind of the way you think of it. Yeah, but that, that's why people get confused. So when we're talking about a differential gear, the higher the number, so going back to old school stuff, we used to deal with gear ratios like 4.11, 4.13. Um, there were some up in the 4.5s. Those were pretty unusual. Yeah, that is a really, really low gear. Now, on the other hand, Joel and Henry are down in the low twos now. You know, gear ratios in the, the 2.18 range and, and lower um, and there are even yeah, some I, gears. I need to talk on, to them too because I'm like, um, so that's I, I'm looking to buy another truck too. <laughs> that that's a higher gear. So just to help clarify that because it gets confusing. The the bigger the number of your gear set, the lower the ratio. The low, the smaller okay, the number, the say. higher the ratio. So whatever yours is, so it's probably like um, it's probably like a. Two um, or 3.25 or something. Mm, might be a 308. That's fairly common on that. That might be. Uh, the the Freightliner guy you really want to talk to is, is Henry. And look, Joel can spec these kind of things. He understands all the platforms. He really focuses on Volvo. Um, Henry's the guy that's been working with Freightliner for years and years on this stuff. Um, there's a couple options. You could call us on Friday of this. Oh, no, this is the holiday week. Um, next Friday. Yeah, uh, yeah, they were saying Friday, like next Friday. Yeah. Um, because what I was wanting to do, and I'll be in line to do it in the next um, six months, I want to buy another truck, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to let Joel or Henry kind of guide us. We want to fly so, out to wherever they are and have them pick the truck for us that gets the absolute best fuel mileage. <laughs> so why the, so we, we can still talk about some things here. We can come back to fuel mileage in a little bit because I can help you with a lot of that. Um, why the second truck? Mm-hmm. Um, well, because um, I can, I did some numbers and I put Joe's truck side by side with my truck and looked at the, uh, the, the fuel mileage. And it is with my truck, I will be, um, like, if I got a truck like Joel's, I would make, I would save $68,233 in a year 
just yeah, well, fuel. That's a let, big chunk it, of money. It's huge, and I talk about those kind of numbers all the time. But I, I, I want to. Yeah. yeah, but we, there's some other things we need to look at right now. I know those numbers are really tempting, mm-hmm. but let me tell you this: Do not try to calculate anything on your operation from Joel's numbers. You're not going to achieve what Joel's achieving, even if he builds the truck for you. There's a lot of other factors there. Some of it is, is a big part of it is driving. Joel's got stuff on his truck that, that is still almost experimental. He's always testing things. Now, we could reasonably assume, here, here's the biggest number I want anybody to use if they're going to spec a new truck, and they, they're doing it mm-hmm. for the fuel mileage savings. I would not make those calculations on anything over nine and a half. That's a safe place. It, 10 is is tough to achieve on a true, you know, lifetime average of a truck. And the kind of numbers that Joel and Henry are knocking down, 11 plus sometimes, those are virtually unheard of. I mean, they, they are doing so many things right, and, and they do it to prove a concept. And eventually, you know, as we do that, we get all the trucks better and better. But to be safe, don't do this calculation on anything more than nine and a half on the new truck. Now, before you even think about another truck, there's another calculation here. That's mm-hmm. th- There's no reason why we can't get your truck, I don't think, to nine and a half. And we don't have... I don't know. I mean, I have tried and tried and tried. Well, tell me what you've tried. Tell me what you've tried. Um, I have, well, you know, since the wheelbase is really long, um, I have moved my fifth wheel forward um, just like enough, you know, just enough to maybe help close the gap, but not so much that I'm hooking my mud flap on the landing gear. And then... um, 245 is not that big of a wheelbase. Yeah. I mean, I was just, you know, I am just looking at the numbers and looking at the savings. Well, I know. I, I, I'll get, I, hold on, hold on. Don't be blinded by okay. incorrect it's, numbers. And that's, that's part of what you're doing right now. So I, I want to take, mm-hmm. a, take a step back. So what else have you tried? We've slide the fifth wheel up, close the gap. That's good. What else? Um, when I am not pressed for time, I, um, I drive about, 60, 62, and I don't even look at my speedometer. I look at the the, uh, the gauge that tells me the real time of what miles per gallon I'm getting. Okay, and good. when I do that, I can get to nine. What? So yeah, why are why, nine, hold on? Nine, nine why, why are we thinking okay. about a new truck then? I don't know because I, I was seeing Joe, Joe's truck and I was like, doing, you know, well, stop doing it. the numbers side by side. Stop it. Okay. Joel's been doing this for 35 years. There is a okay. huge amount of risk in changing trucks. Every once in a while, we spec a truck just about perfect, and it comes out and gets at least a mile per gallon less than what we predicted. It happens. And a lot of times, we're not even sure why. There, there is that risk. Here's the other problem. Every time you trade trucks, you lose money. You have to trade in at wholesale, and you have to buy at retail. So there's a loss there. Now, do you have enough cash to buy the truck you would want? Yes, and I would not buy the truck at all yet until I can come up with the cash for just, like, just to buy it cash. But what I was thinking, and this is the other thing I wanted to ask oh, you. Hold on. Let I me, let me did... go back to a statement you just said. 
So, and this okay. is this is a good thing. It's not a criticism at all. But it but it we got to look at these things. If you are throwing off enough profit that you would be able to reasonably save enough cash to buy a new truck in the in the near future, why mess with that? Why take a risk right now in a really bad market? We don't know where this market's mm-hmm. going. It could get worse. It could hang out here at the bottom for a year or more. This is not a time to go get another truck. And and you don't need to. Okay. I mean, I'm going to definitely follow your advice. I mean, I'll, I'll wait. I mean, I just wanted to call you and see if, like, we should do this or it's a good idea to do this. Yeah, I would I would put off the put off the idea of a new truck right now. You've got a 2019. You've told me if it's driven right and get nine miles to the gallon, um, and we haven't made any of the modifications we could still make to improve it. Do you have a fleet air filter? No, no, you're right. Um, I can uh, you, you you have one for sale. Uh, well, well, uh, in, in uh, your um, truck store. You uh, yeah, I'm sitting at fleet air filters right now. Now, is that um, what like size would fit my truck? Because that would actually be really great. Yeah, you can do two things. You can call them up, just pick up the phone. They've got great customer service. Tell them what make, model, and engine. They'll give you the filter or pull your filter out and get the part number off of it. And then anybody can look it up and tell you what filter you need. Um, So there's one. Um, A a, um, a fast or an air dog system. Would be a nice improvement. Okay, what's the next thing you said? Uh, Either a fast fuel system or an air dog fuel system. They both do similar things in slightly different ways. They take air out of the fuel. These new engines return a lot of fuel back to the tank, and that creates a lot of air in the fuel, and air is bad for our engine. It's hard on our injectors. It affects our fuel economy and our performance. So both of those systems take the air out of the fuel. They they both oh, work okay. e- extremely well. There's another modification between a fleet air filter and a FAS. There's the potential to pick up another half mile per gallon. Okay, that that's awesome. I would love that. There's some aerodynamics improvements. We we have an awesome aerodynamic um, device in our store called the flow below and if if your truck would have and maybe it is i don't know but you don't have like any aerodynamic devices around your tandems and between the tandems right well no my trailer's got the uh the, not the, the trailer and not 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 the trailer yeah. the tractor so no it really does it no not at all freightliner this is one of the few aftermarket fuel devices that the oems actually install if you would have gotten the efficiency version of your truck it may have come with the flow below from the factory but you can add that now we've got them in our store we could just with a couple things we could be picking up six or seven tenths of a mile per gallon and we don't have to spend a lot of money to do it yeah, I'm making a list. <laughs> Good. And make sure you check it twice. I will. Um, well, anything else that I should, you think that I should get or that would help or do to it? Um, the, the, the fact that you're running around at 1,300 RPM or more, I get a little concerned about the emission system. That engine would, would do better at a lower RPM. It holds more heat in the engine that way. It's easier on the emission system. So when I see an engine being run out of its ideal RPM range, 
um, the Pittsburgh Power Max Mileage Catalyst. Now we're not. We're, we're, I use that. Okay, I use good. That on every feeling. Okay, good. I love that stuff. So. Yeah. Good. Good. Okay. I would stick with those for right now. Let, let's take a look at those three. Put them on. Track your your gain. And I would I would just forget the idea of a new truck right now. A lot of hassle. A lot of money. A lot of risk. And we're not going to. Oh we're not going to gain that yeah. much. You're right. So what about getting the RPMs lowered? Can I do that? Yeah, or? just slow down. But yeah, just, yeah, slow That's down. That's it right now. Um, yeah, Here, here's the thing. If we go to change gear ratios on this thing right now, it, it's almost, uh, you know, it's going to be six grand. I mean, if you could do it yourself, oh gosh, and you no. can, yeah, and you can get the parts used, you, you can do it cheaper, but it's not easy. I mean, you've got to go find the parts. You've got to have a shop to do it in. Uh, otherwise, you're going to pay somewhere between five and six grand probably to change out two differential sets. And it would be an improvement. Well, we, we, yeah, we think based on your RPM, it would be an improvement, but to me, that's too much money to put out right now. Not enough return back. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha on that. But you know, after you get this done and, and you know, it sounds like you're doing pretty well and you've got enough profit. It's not out of the question that we might do it. But what I'd like to do is see where this thing settles in when you make these three modifications. You really start focusing on driving. I mean, at today's rates, there's not a whole lot of reason to be in a hurry anywhere. It's not like we're rushing to a screaming hot load that's paying us a bunch of money. Um, so let's see where we can get with some driving modifications, some these three um, modifications, and if it looks like there would still be a, a nice enough gain with, uh, you know, changing out some gear sets, you can do it whenever. Okay. Yeah, I mean, most of the time when I'm going down the road, I'm just kind of blowing on the throttle. Just, Good. You know, very, very light on it. Good. Yeah, now, you're doing a lot of things right across the board, how you bought the truck, how you paid off the truck, the fact that you're learning how to work on it yourself, that you're looking at fuel mileage modifications. That's awesome. I, my advice would be focus on this truck. Cause I think you've got a winner here. I think so too, because the engine, oh my goodness, I oil sample it like just before I changed the oil. And the only thing it shows is just a little bit of tin. Otherwise that engine is so clean. Excellent. Oh, and the, the Capacity level is kind of high. Um, I use the uh, the fifteen the the fifteen W forty. Stop um, it. Stop oh, it. Because <laughs> there's another fuel mileage gain we can get. That engine is not designed for fifteen forty. It's designed for ten thirty. Ten thirty. I will write that down. And I would run ten thirty full synthetic. Mm, all right. We, we might squeeze a full mile per gallon out of all these modifications and a little bit of driving adjustment. Yeah. All right. Because, you know, I ask people about like, okay, what is the, you know, the best like weight oil to use? And I get like half people tell me, um, you know, Titan so, W or 1540 and, so and let half me, tell me the other thing. Let me help you with that too. Okay, so I'm going to ask you for advice about oil, okay? And mm -hmm. you give me any answer you want. Don't don't even don't overthink it. I'm just going to ask you about oil, and then you're going to give me an answer, okay? And don't worry about what the answer is. And then I'm going to okay. then I'm going to show you how to really learn things. 
So, yeah. All right. So, Melody, what what kind of oil should I run in my my DD thirteen? Uh, well, I was always told that uh, Rotella was the best. Um, can you tell me? Uh, can Can you tell me why I should run Rotella? Mm-hmm. Um, it seems not to break down quite as fast as some of the uh, the other um, oils that, like my mechanic uses, um, well, well, the emeralds. Hold, hold on. Um, why? Why does it not break down so fast? Because I think it's just better quality. Uh, and what are we comparing it to? How do we know it broke down? Mm, like, I mean, I look at the color and... Yeah, can't, it's don't, like don't, dark. Do, uh, don't do that. No. Don't do that. Okay. See, what I'm trying to help you with here is when you ask for advice from people, don't just take their answer on the surface. Because what I... And, and this is not a criticism of you. I did this on purpose. What I just learned is you really don't understand oil. But you were giving me advice. No. And that's the, I, I mm-hmm. will guarantee you almost 100% of the people you asked for advice about oil don't understand oil. And if you would have questioned them, asked them why, you probably would have figured that out. Lots of people give advice. All they're doing is repeating what they've heard somewhere else. And if that's the case, I don't want your advice. If you can't explain to me why I should do something or not do something, then your advice is kind of worthless to me. Now, if you ask me those questions, okay. I'll tell you exactly why you should be running a full synthetic 1030 in your truck. And I don't care if it's Rotella uh, or not. I'm actually a fan of Rotella. I like it for a lot of reasons. But that doesn't mean I can't do just as well with um, almost any other brand of oil on the market that has the right API. There is, I have tried and tried and tried to figure out any real difference between oil and it, the, the differences are almost non-existent. The one thing I can say about Rotella that I do like, it has more zinc than most oil does, and zinc is really protective. The other thing is it's it, priced well, and it's easy to get. So those things are enough for me to just stick with Rotella. But you want the yeah, 1030 and you want a synthetic. Bulk, I, I get a better deal on it. Oh, buying in bulk is always a great idea, no doubt. Yeah. But I had a question about the oil weight. Um, would you change the weight of the oil when, like, we're going with the lighter weight, the 10W30? Um, is that good for, like, winter or summer? Like, does the temperature have anything to do with it? Almost nothing these days. The Almost every oil on the mark. Now, I will say the big difference in temperature is between conventional oil and synthetic. But it, once we moved okay. to once we moved to synthetic, there's not a huge difference in temperature between a fifteen forty and a ten thirty. The ten thirty is going to start better in really cold temperatures than a fifteen forty. Um, it still has plenty of protection on the hot side. We we don't get engines hot enough to ever hurt any kind of oil. Um, the reason we use the ten thirty is these engines were built for ten thirty. They have much tighter tolerances, and the lighter weight the oil is, the better fuel economy we get. Oh, that's right, because it doesn't have to work so hard. See, you get this. It's a lot of sense, You're right. Actually. Yeah, You're right. I mean, I, you I, get I this. the mechanics of it. Yeah, perfect. Um, so that is what we're going to do. We are going to. Um, I haven't ordered my oil or anything yet. Thank goodness, I'm not going to order that till next month. Uh, and, yeah, that's what I'm going to order. One more thing, and then I'm going to cut you loose. How often are you changing mm-hmm. your oil? What's your interval? 
I change it about every 35,000 miles. Stop it. Because it's just, no, why? What am I doing? And uh, I'm picking on you, I know, but it, uh, it makes a point. Um, have you looked in your right. manual? I look in my manual, but you know what? When I look in the manual, it's like it almost looks like it's not the right manual for the truck. Okay. Like, so I'm, al- not, you know, almost I'm not matching the truck or something. All of the new modern engines today are their oil change intervals recommended from the factory with no extra filtration or anything is going to be between okay. 50 and 75,000 miles. No, there's not an engine on the market anymore that you're supposed to change at 30. So, oh my goodness! Okay, yeah, fifty, 50 to seventy-five thousand miles for a synthetic. If I, I think the deed, no, you don't even have to use synthetic to get that. We want to use synthetic, but I just want to be clear: you could do this with with any oil. The synthetic really doesn't help us extend drains. It's just better for the engine. It's better for fuel economy. It's better for a lot of reasons. But thirty thousand miles—I don't think there's a modern engine on the market that requires that anymore. Now. One more modification you could make is put the OPS Uh filtration system on there. And now you might very likely go 150 to 200,000 miles without changing. Does that make you nervous? um, I was hearing about that. That's filtration. Okay. Now, can most mechanics install it or is it pretty easy to install yourself? It is easy to install, and if I ever ran into a mechanic that said he couldn't install it, he would never get anywhere near my truck. All we have to do is mount it on the outside of the frame, usually. That's pretty straightforward. We run one 12-volt electric line to it. We run an oil feed and an oil return. We're done. This is basic mechanics. Oh, my goodness. So your regular filters, like the, your regular oil filter, can just stay where it's at. Yep. And then it Don't will touch kind it. of feed over to the OPS. Yeah, won't touch it. Yep. And you can also so get I the OPS gonna, in um, our store. Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to do that, and I was going to, like, check out all these other things. And um, I might, you know, probably um, get those next month and then January, too. Um, Perfect. Yeah, you know, start working on it. Uh, one other thing to think about. Mm-hmm. Instead of buying anything in January, buy it in mm-hmm. December and we accelerate our tax break to this year. Oh my goodness, that is an amazing point. So I will buy it in December for sure. Give yourself a Christmas present or two. Oh yeah, absolutely. All right, Melody. I want you so much. You're welcome. I want you to go think about all this and then call me back next week. Okay, we'll do. Thank you. You're welcome. We will talk to you soon. Let's uh, let's go to North Carolina. Steve, welcome. Hello. Yes. What's on your mind today? Hey, Kevin. Hey, Kevin. Uh, long story short, got a good friend that uh, uh, about two years ago he uh, had a stroke, and he's a younger guy. He's, he's in his mid forties now. So, uh, had a stroke. Was in the hospital uh, for four days. He laid him out within. Kitchen, not really. Within a week or so, he was back to himself again. wasn't dragging his leg, none of that kind of stuff. It pretty much went away, and didn't seem to really have any problems. Like say, it's a couple of years ago, and then a couple of months ago, all of a sudden, bang, he's back in the hospital again. They're saying, "Oh, he had another stroke." 
I'm like, wow, this is strange. You know, he quit smoking and everything. I thought he was doing good. And his eating habits wasn't the average American diet. And in the last six, eight months, he's kind of switched over to now. He's, he's cut off a lot of carbs and a lot of sugars, but it's still not enough to make a big difference. Okay. You know, he hasn't gone completely carnivore or keto or nothing like that. But um, So they thought he had another stroke uh, a month and a half, two months ago. He was in the hospital like a day or two, and bang, he's back out. And he's like, man, he kind of looks normal already. That's kind of quick and stuff. And then I started hearing that, well, they said it wasn't a stroke. They can't figure out what it was. Okay, that's kind of strange. And I've noticed in the last month or so, or last couple, three or four weeks, maybe a month, that it seems like he's kind of dragging his leg a little bit here and there. And he's just one, one side of it. His arm acts a little funny sometimes and stuff. He does drink too much. He drinks, you know, a lot to me. Uh, it's almost daily, basically. Okay. And uh, I... I I've come to the fact that through the grapevine, basically, I got some info from his brother because we know it wasn't a stroke. It was misdiagnosed. I'm 90% sure it's ALS, Lou Gehrig's are, disease, whatever you want to call it. But are the doctors saying that at all? He knows, but he doesn't want everybody else to know yet. And I've read through everything I've seen and my research and everything I've done. I'm going, it, the re- it sounds like ALS. The reason I question it, um, I'm very familiar with ALS. My father died from it. Uh, it okay. is not an easy thing to diagnose. There's no clear okay. indicator. There's no single test they can do. Um, it, If I remember right, I think from the onset of his first symptom till they actually diagnosed him was somewhere between two and three years. It, it, it's not right. an, so. So I, I, I'm not saying that's not what it is, but it it, it doesn't sound like it to me. Honestly, I, it, usually it doesn't start with the leg dragging. I, you know, that is more of a stroke kind of thing. ALS tends to kind of start at the top um, and start to. Uh, you, you lose muscle control is what you lose. Um, they start to... Well, he's, he's lost some muscle control now. Where, though? Uh, basically, his arms, hands, he, legs. Yeah, see, that, like that, that that's not quite typical of ALS. It can happen. Usually, it starts in your head and your face and, and works its way down. Right. That's a, a more common pattern. Um, it it could be else? ALS... Um, here's the other question I have to ask. When, what was the date roughly of his first stroke? A little over two years ago. Is he vaccinated? I don't believe he ever did. I didn't either. And I don't think they ever did either. I can't guess on that one. That's something I would have to know right up front before you even start to diagnose this. Because if he's had the vax, I would go a totally different route. These kind of events... Uh, Yeah, but you're not listening to me. I would not even attempt to help somebody until I was positive. Not I think, not maybe, not uh, not, you've got to be positive. Because if he's had it, we go down one path. If he hasn't, we go down a different path. So we can't guess. We'll waste a whole bunch of time going down the wrong way if we're just guessing. So I would ask him right up front if he wants help. Um, he's got to be honest about that. And there are very right. different protocols if this is a vaccine injury. And it sounds like okay. one. It, it's, it's, I know he smokes and he drinks, and it, it's not out of the question for a 40-year-old to get stroke. But strokes are a lot more common in people that have been vaccinated. And, and we uh, have and to... Like I said, they, 
Go ahead. They misdiagnosed it as a stroke, and then they come around the second time, and they knew it wasn't a stroke, but that's why I kept going. Well, wait, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait a minute. When they say it's not a stroke, what do they think it is? I don't know. They didn't know what it was. Well, then, then I'm not. They did not know. I'm not completely confident that it isn't a stroke. Hmm. It sounds more like stroke symptoms. Here's here would be my recommendation. We don't need to know this. If he's serious about fixing this and getting healthy, I the next phone call would be to Dr. Wolfson. He'll tell you whether it was a stroke or not, right. and, and whether it was a stroke or it is a vaccine injury. He's got protocols for both. Okay, I'll try to work with you some more, try to see if I can get him anywhere on that. It's just some of them are so hard-headed, they just don't, they would, they don't want to listen because they don't want to change. It's like, well, and this it, man's living a lot longer than, you know, 10 more years or it, five more years. And you would listen. And look, here's the thing. If if at this point, after having two strokes, being this disabled over it, if he's not willing to give up the drinking, is he still smoking? No, the smoking, see, he stopped shortly after the first diagnosis so, of possible stroke. So I'll tell you this. If you can quit smoking, quitting drinking is a slam dunk. Drinking. It's a whole Easy. lot easier. Yeah, you would think. Oh, no, it is. It's yeah. it's a whole lot easier than quitting smoking. All the research well, the shows that... Give up is smoking. I, that's what I mean. Ask anybody. It's been proven. And, and it, it's been proven. That, that's what I mean. So if he's not willing to give up the drinking, then it it it, it probably can't it, get better. It's going to be tough. Alcohol is yeah. hard and on what, the body, and drinking alcohol every day is really hard on the body. Daily, yeah. I just lost a friend because he was drinking hard liquor every day, three, four, five hours a day. He pass out at the bar yep. and go home. The guy died at like 36, 37, liver shut down and everything. I'm like, you're going to die. You cannot abuse your body like that daily and think you're, you're okay to do that. No, you can't. Uh, too much of anything is a bad thing. And you're, you're hard liquor daily that much, you're going to die. You're going to kill yourself. Hey, quick note. I uh, emailed them and they or a message on Facebook, too, and somebody responded in your group. There, uh, Someone who works for you. Uh, did you get the message they passed it on about uh, your Green Acres? I call it Green Acres because I don't know if you remember the show, but yeah, I your do. farm. <laughs> yeah, I do. Green Acres. Ja Ja Gabor. Yeah. <laughs> funny. Uh, good shows we used to watch a million years ago that we wouldn't watch today. But uh, the chickens getting out and, and uh, eating the grapes and stuff you were talking about, and they love them, right? Yeah, and I don't know if they, they passed on the message to you that I, I mentioned. Please don't let diesel get near those grapes. One grape can kill your dog. You know, uh, look, I, extremely uh, harmful for dogs. I, I'm not going to argue this because I don't know. I've never looked it up, but but I have seen so many things over the years, and I'm not saying they're good for dogs. And diesel doesn't eat that kind of stuff, it, so it's not an issue. He's been okay. around the grapes. It's up, but here's they the thing. Hey, hey, here's the thing. Um, I kind of find it really, really hard to believe that any animal can die from that small of an amount. I'm not saying it's not true, but I've heard the, the I've heard dark chocolate. Oh, my God, one time and they'll die. Um, don't let them near your poinsettia plants. If they smell <laughs> them, they'll, they'll die. I mean, I, look, I'm not saying it's good for them, but I, I kind of doubt there's ever a case of a dog eating one grape and dying. Right. It's just after I heard that, I did the research, and they do say that one grape could shut their liver down and have serious problems. Who says? To vet immediately, blah, Who blah, says? Blah. It's just, it, it depends on where the research comes from. That's, Kevin, that's my it point. Right. It, it's the Internet. It's any good. Right. I know. Right. I, 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 have to, I have to believe that lots and lots of people have fed grapes to dogs. 
I'll bet it's fairly common. People feed their dogs all kinds of stuff that they eat. And if one grape started killing dogs, I think we would all know this. Yeah, probably. You're probably correct. Yeah, I now, got you then. Yeah, but I, but I appreciate the advice. I do, and, and I don't worry about it. Diesel's just one of those dogs. He doesn't eat anything other than the food we feed him. I mean, he doesn't beg at the table. Um, he eats his breakfast and he eats his dinner and that's it. That's the way it's always been. And he, he doesn't eat much other than that. Let's, uh, let's go to Ohio. Herschel, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. What's on your mind today? You got me? I do. Well, for that, for that lady that was talking all about her truck, Pittsburgh Power just put out an email today. They got a good Black Friday sale and OPS is part of it. Hey, are you cannibalizing my sales? No, sir. I'm just telling you. <laughs> I know. And if they have a better price, she should go buy it from them right now. Well, I don't have any idea whose price is better. I just got the email today. I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, no. We're, we're, we're fine sharing the love. And when you put your OPS on a Series 60, don't do what I did and watch which one of them plugs you're going after with your extension that's about two and a half feet long. So oh, boy. Because I pulled the wrong one, and I got all my antifreeze on the driveway. Uh-oh. That's no fun. <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah, that's no fun. <laughs> yeah, that's... Hey, I, I, so anyway. I, just just so you don't feel quite so bad, I, um, I had a little incident this morning setting up for the show. I don't know what it is with me and the Starlink. I love this thing. It's the best Internet I've ever had. But I have abused this poor thing so bad I can't even believe it still works. The first thing I did, and this was on the last trip, I used to have to, like, put it out the window from inside the coach, then go out there on a ladder and climb up and put it on top. And I I set it there in the window, and by the time I walked around, it fell out of the window all the way down to the ground. And I thought, well, that thing's never going to work again. Uh, I picked it up, and it worked. Um week or two ago, I said the wind blew my cable and it landed on the exhaust for my diesel-fired heater. And when they, the <laughs> diesel-fired heater came on, it melted the cord in half. There, there were two ends, and there are a lot of little tiny wires in there. And the only place to get this cable is Starlink. And I have an order in for two new cables, except... They can't catch up with me. I had them delivered to Nashville the first time, but I left Nashville before they got there. Then I had them rerouted to Destin. They were supposed to show up um, Saturday, but they didn't, and I just left Destin without them. So I still don't have new cables. I had to splice that one back together. It, It was not fun. It's still working. But today... Uh, I pull into David's place here, Fleet Air Filter. I back up. I'm hooking up. I'm doing all my stuff. Normally, I put out my slides first, and then I climb up, and the last thing I do is put up the Starlink. But today, I figured I'm in a hurry, and the Starlink takes a little while to boot up, so I thought, I'll put the Starlink up first, then I'll go finish all the other stuff. So the first thing I did is I put the Starlink satellite all the way on the top of the coach. Now, we're talking 13 feet up, and... I'm putting out my slides, and all of a sudden, I hear something crash. My slide caught the cable and pulled the thing right off the top of the coach. It fell 13 feet onto gravel. Is it gravel? No, it's concrete. (laughs) Um, I thought, 
oh, the hell, that thing's never going to work again. And guess what? It's still working. That damn thing is just about indestructible. You need to send another message to Elon. You could be on some kind of a Mythbusters advertisement or durability test or something for that thing. Yeah, I don't know why I keep doing this. I mean, it's always stupid stuff, and I seem to keep doing it. Um, actually, if I can, if I can hang out here long enough, I'm not sure if I can or not. Um, I might have uh, David Shop put a permanent mount for me up top. Well, that's the old saying Grandma used to say: "You get in the cart before the horse. Slow down and think about what you're doing." Oh, it's always when I'm in a hurry. Always. <laughs> um, my question for you. Now, I'm not confused about the pricing, the 12, the 52, the 72. I, I get all that. The part that I don't totally get, you of course, the name is group coaching. So to me, that is multiple people. Right. A couple of questions, couple of questions around the group coaching, whether it's business or health. Is that on a Zoom call face-to-face on a laptop the only way to do it or is it doable on a phone so it is the other part okay go ahead go ahead the other part is i know you said it's not going to work like the show in air quotes but to a degree it kind of maybe does do you push a button to put your hand up to ask something how does it work Okay. How are you going to do it? So first off, and, and we've already done one. We've re- worked through all the technology on this. It is a Zoom meeting. Zoom is a, a nice, powerful platform, works really well. Uh, lots of people are familiar with Zoom now, so it's a, it's a good way to do this. Zoom is awesome on a phone. So, yeah, you, you can get the Zoom app on your phone, and you, can, you don't need a laptop or an iPad or anything else. You can do it right from the phone. I don't care if, if the participants are on video or not. That's totally up to you. I like the face-to-face stuff, especially when we're, we're working more intensely. But if lots of people on the last call didn't turn their video on, that's fine. So if you just want to listen, you can do that. So it is really, really easy to access from your phone. As far as how it goes, there's lots of ways it could go. You might, if you were in the program right now and you decided to call me today and we had a coaching call later this week, you could say, hey, I, I really want to work on this problem I have um, with this ECM report or whatever it might be, or, or I'm thinking about adding a truck and I don't even know where to start. Well, then I might say, okay, we're going to make you the first case on the call this week. Or we get to the call and the first person that raises their hand, I'll, I'll help them. At some point, we will have to cut off um, new people. I mean, there is going to be a finite number of people I can manage at one time. But we don't know what that is yet. So we're going to grow slowly and we're going to watch that. And if it gets to the point where we think people aren't going to be served well, we'll shut it off. We want to make sure the people that are in the program get all the help they need to solve their problems. Okay. Okay. Then let me ask you this. The reason that I asked about the coaching for me is the the health side right. more than anything. I do have a program that I'm, I got one more installment left on that program and a couple of, couple of calls yet. And then that'll be over. And to say that spendy, it's yeah, that's it is. statement. It is. Now there are, there have been benefits. Yes. A lot of them. Yes, definitely. But I wonder because of what I have done with 
Dr. Jack, would you be comfortable doing this kind of stuff to maybe progress farther to get, because I just want to feel good. That That's it. And, and I don't. It, okay. I'm not there yet. I'm a it, whole sight better than I was, a whole lot better, but I'm not quite there. Yeah, so good. see what you thought. Yeah, so, you know what, the difference here is time. You know, if if you want time from Dr. Wolfson, it's expensive. It has to be. If you wanted true one-on-one time with me outside of this group program, first off, I won't do it. I, I can't. I don't have enough time, and I would have to charge the kind of rates he charges. I, it's just that labor-intensive to do a lot of this stuff. This program is, is a way to get really close to that level of care um, without spending a ton of money, but by taking more time to do it. You know, you're in the group. You're going to be learning something from every call, probably. That's why we do it as a group. But as long as you stay in the program, I'll keep doing something until I don't know what to do anymore. And and part of that will be I, I have the ability to consult with people like Dr. Wolfson. I mean, I can go to him with a tough sure. case and say, hey, I'm stuck on this. Can you help me with this? And I have several doctors that will do that for me. So this is a way to get a pretty intense level of help at a very, very reasonable price. Hell, you you could stay in my program for about five years for what you pay for a consultation, right? <laughs> well, the initial call with the doc isn't really too bad. Right. Once you get into a program and you start doing blood work, that's when yeah, you it, got you better get your chain drive big boy wallet. Uh, yeah, you're not kidding. You're not kidding. So, and there are still people I'm going to have to refer out for that kind of stuff. And there's no way around it. Uh, you know, sure. we'll we'll do a lot of that work. I will consult with other people. It, the The goal here was to create the next level of care without breaking the bank. Right. Right. Okay. All right, Kevin. Well, I'll call Tribe Care and get that set up. I do have a meeting this afternoon, actually, with a psychologist. I think a lot of it's between my damn ears. So. Um, it is, but but we also know that those problems between the ears many, many times comes back to something not necessarily in the brain the way psychologists and psychiatrists think. It could come back to, and you've done a lot of this work, I don't know if, uh, if they found any kind of mold issues that could be causing this, but there are dietary things, there are metabolic things that, that show up in the brain. Really, we're starting to find that brain issues are really just inflammation of the brain. Just like, you know, liver issues are inflammation and joint issues are inflammation. Uh, Almost everything in the body comes back to inflammation. Well, I know I am allergic to mold. That's one of the reasons they have me on allergy injections as a child twice a week. That may be um, Dave Asprey. That that was a big, big problem for him. It's why he developed his coffee. And and I have... uh, I actually... Go ahead. I actually have the cardiology coffee from uh, Dr. Good. Jack. Good. And uh, uh, it's pretty tasty stuff. Oh, it is. But you got to buy a grinder. I-, I didn't know this. The package comes, I open it up, it's beans. It's- so I had to go get a grinder. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it is really good coffee. But Dave Asprey found that it was mold toxins in his coffee that were causing him a lot of problems. Now, I've said many times, I've tested that. I see no difference whatsoever. 
And that isn't to say that it, the coffee is not legitimate. It is. It's just that I'm not that sensitive to mold toxins. Some people are. Some people aren't. I don't seem to be very sensitive to them at all. I notice no difference between those really clean brands of coffee and the, the peats I buy because I like the taste. Um, but, but for people who are sensitive, that can be a game changer. Yeah, I'm very sensitive to all that kind of stuff. I, Supplementation, I, medication, allergies. Yeah, see, I, I have a feeling that's where the, um, the brain issues are stemming from. Yeah, mold, dogs, cats, grass, trees, pollen—you name it. Allergic to all of it. It will, and <laughs> and we'll, there there's a solution in there somewhere. We just got to find it. All right, Kevin. I'll let you be. So you can get somebody else. All right. Talk to you soon. Let's uh, let's go to Oklahoma. Paul, welcome. Howdy. Um, so the advice I give, some people will tell you it's worth what I charge. So people can take it or leave it. Yeah, that's kind of how uh, that, that's kind of how I look at my advice. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the lady that called earlier, I didn't hear the start of her call, but she measured her wheelbase. I'm wondering if she measured her wheelbase correctly. Yeah, I, I was because if she has a six by four tractor, did she measure to the center between the two axles, or did she measure from the center of the front wheel? You know, center it, of the rear. Right. The reason I didn't get any deeper is because no matter how you measured that, that number's not like that, that big of a deal, really. Uh, and here's the yeah, other the, thing. The truck is we're, what is. It, yeah. We're not going to change yeah. it. Right. So I, I you know, yeah. it is what it is. It, that, that's not something we're going to go spend money to change. So I didn't really want to spend a whole lot of time on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, uh, the size of the sleeper can also, you know, the size of the wheelbase and the size of the sleeper, like if you've got a 260 wheelbase, but you've got a 36-inch bunk on it, or you've got a 260 wheelbase with a 70-inch bunk on a it. Big difference. It's going to be a difference. Right, right. Yeah. So, And I was going to say Joel is a 1%, but he's more like a 0.1%. You can't go, you can't go comparing, oh, well, Joel gets this. So if I get a truck that's expected exactly like his, I'll get the same. You probably won't. You could drive because, Joel's truck, and you're not going to get the same. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I'm, I'm hoping eventually to buy a Volvo that's spec'd out. It's obviously going to be different because it's going to be a car. Well, it's going to start life as a day cab, but his running gear spec will be pretty close to the same. But I'm hoping to get seven miles to the gallon, which would be really good for me. Yeah, absolutely. When when Joel gets seven miles to the gallon, it's like. Well, the hell is he dragging? I don't think he's ever gone that low. <laughs> Probably think, not. When he did an he did, he did an idle test and it chopped down one time, but that was it. So yeah, yeah. I, I remember one time he was out at the Bonneville Salt Flats doing stuff. Maybe he got it up to a hundred out there, and his fuel mileage went down to seven. Yeah, but the, I think that six hundred cat couldn't keep up with it. It's <laughs> a high speed. Yeah, the 600 cat with no aerodynamics couldn't couldn't push through the wind. No way. Like his truck did. Yeah, no way. Yeah. So you have to take in a lot of things into account. That's for sure. So, so that's all I got today. I'll carry on. All right. That's all I need. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Tennessee. Eric, welcome. Hey. A um, couple of things. I'll start with Melody. Uh, you let her get away with one thing when you asked her what her 
fuel economy was, she said, about 6.6 to 7.0. You didn't ask her if she's using your fuel gauges, which would help her. At least I didn't catch that. If you did, no, I didn't. You're and you're right. It, it just let's clarify. I, I I had a feeling that was going to be one of those calls that if I went down too many rabbit holes, I wasn't going to finish it. So I wanted to stay on the big points. Um, well, normally yeah. you're right. I don't get away. I I usually don't let people get away saying. My average is between. I, I don't care what the numbers are. Stop right, right there. <laughs> Averages are never between anything. An average is an average. You you gave me an average and a range. I I, I just the average is fine right now. But but I didn't want to get into. I look at fuel gauges minutia. and I can say that my average is six point seven three miles per gallon. That's it. It's one number. There's no range. That's what an average is, and that's why we use an average. It it takes all of that into account. Now, if I'm really trying to diagnose a problem, I will look at the range. What's the lowest, and why is it getting so low? What's the highest, and what was different? Sure. But a but lot of also- times. People will say, my average is between. No, stop. Your average is not between anything. Well, it's also a matter of where she's getting that number from, too. So we don't know what her aver- what her fuel economy actually is because we don't know where she's – if she's just looking at her, you know, truck's computer screen, then well, who the hell knows what her average actually is. Well, the that's changed a lot in the last 10 years. She's got a 2019 Volvo. Their fuel mileage gauges are pretty damn accurate. Okay. Yeah, I, I, we, do, um, we don't I see wondered, a whole oh, lot of variance anymore. From somebody who's tracking, you know, every tank, we tend to find the newer trucks' fuel mileage gauges are with a couple within a couple of tenths almost all the time. Oh, do they? Yeah. Yeah, they've improved a lot. I'm kind of wondering why you didn't suggest she make an appointment with Pittsburgh Power to get the first the engine clean, you know, that foam thing that they do, and then the whole checklist i forget what they call that but the the hawkeye you know, i mean i know bruce would want to want her to do a manifold and a, a turbo and uh, the the radiator and all that stuff but you know remember we used to you know for five thousand dollars i can go into pittsburgh power and get all of this and then probably get one mile per gallon or something yeah and and was that just part of the you didn't want to hit her with too much at once kind of thing i i didn't want to overwhelm her I mean, I really didn't. And, and yeah. you know, the, the big okay. stuff that she could do right now, I'm kind of encouraging her to do herself. Just go buy this True. stuff and put it on herself. I mean, she was interested in learning how. This is a great way to learn. Yeah, I mean, if she can install a FAST or whatever on her own, that'd be great. Sure. FAST, okay. I, that, that's one's a little tough. The air dog's actually much easier to install than a FAST. That is a, a, an advantage of the air dog. The installation <laughs> is much easier. And I... I wouldn't have a problem recommending her trying to put on the air dog. The fast, I would say, don't try. It's a lot of work. You got to know what you're doing to get that one right. Um, I still like both products, but as far as installation, the air dog's a whole lot easier to do yourself. The OPS she could install, the flow below she could install it. That'd be good for. Her. Yeah, my my company kind of went halfway. Not even maybe not even halfway with the flow below. We've got the the wheel covers, but we don't have the the fins and I'm like, okay, well, there's, like, they're saving one tenth of one percent with those wheel covers, but okay. Well, if they, <laughs> if they, now, if they, if they installed four of them, they actually picked up uh, four tenths of a percent. Oh, okay. Yeah, the, right. the the numbers are one one um, tenth per wheel, one tenth of a percent, not a tenth, tenth of a mile per, per gallon. 
Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not really measurable unless you do, it, you know, unless you're checking a whole fleet at a time. The only reason I know those numbers is because Schneider did like a three-year test on thousands of trucks to come up with those numbers. Exactly. Now, the other thing I wanted to mention was when you were talking about ALS, you actually kind of surprised me when you said that most of them start in the head because when my father got ALS, they were saying that it's usually hands or feet, and his started in the hands. I, I've also and seen... They said, actually, if it starts in the feet, it goes quicker. Yeah. Uh, well, my father had an unusual case because he almost doubled the life expectancy after a diagnosis, and it took him a long time to diagnose it. So my father suffered with it twice as long as, as the average was. I've also seen reports that it starts in the chest, around the lungs. But a, a, a dragging yeah, that leg. Would be almost instantaneous then for a death sentence. It, it, it's usually faster, yeah. Um, my as, my as father as, actually. As soon as ALS reaches the, the lungs, it's, just, it's usually over right then. Pretty much. My father started with uh, vertigo. Vertigo is one of the first problems, really? and vertigo is always really tough to diagnose. If it's not an inner ear problem, um, it's hard to figure out what yeah. it is after that. Then he started having some speech issues because he was losing he, he, the muscles in his jaw and mouth were starting to get paralyzed. Uh, and then his worked his way right. down. It just took a long time. It, it's a horrible disease. We now know that it's an autoimmune condition, oh, yeah. so it is diet-related. Uh, yes, but... I was just listening to a podcast yesterday. I wish I could, I can't remember who it was, but they, uh, damn it. Yeah, that's all right. doesn't matter who it was, but they had said that they were talking to, um, Sophia Clemens and the PKD people, the, the ones in Hungary. Oh yeah. Okay. Paleo Medicina. And they said that ALS is still one of the ones they have the least amount of success with. Oh, and no they're doubt. the ones who are curing cancer and MS and everything. No, I, I'm not I'm not talking about curing it because nobody really knows how there hasn't been a, it really any success. It so no, I'm talking about avoiding right. it in the first place. Oh, okay. If well, it's autoimmune, well, yeah. I mean, I, it starts as leaky gut. So if if we can get right. to people and fix leaky gut, then we don't have to try to cure these things later. Right. Yeah. My, my father, he was a gunsmith, and his first notice of it was he started to get numbness in his fingers, and he started losing the ability to manipulate small things like screws. Yeah. And, you know, there's lots of small screws in guns. And eventually it got to the point where he couldn't eat anymore because, like you said, the weakness in the jaw and the inability to swallow. Right. So he eventually had to have a stomach shunt. And unfortunately, not knowing what we all know today, he spent the last year of his life dumping Ensure into his stomach yeah. instead of, you know, he, he could have been blending up ribeye steaks and pouring them in, if nothing else. Eggs work really and, well, but you know, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's um, liver. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, the, the the real key is, is you know, with a lot of these autoimmune conditions is we have to try avoid getting them in the first place because almost all of them do damage yeah. to the body while we have it. So even if we can get rid of it, there's damage left over. And there's so many conditions that all relate to the same damn thing. 
Yep. I mean, we don't have to try to fight an individual one before we get it. We just have to fight them all, yeah. all at the it, same time. Which, which really is leaky gut. I mean, that, that is the, the, the start of autoimmune conditions. Sure. It still, it still gets me every time I hear somebody, like, you know, there'll be a success story that Dr. Baker is talking to. And so many of these people are like, I was diagnosed with, uh, uh, oh, damn it. What's the one in the guts that they always say, stop eating nuts? No, I don't know. Damn it. The one, no, the pockets. The pockets that form oh, in your intestines. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, no, I just drew a blank on the word, too. Um, <laughs> it's contagious. You know the one. Somebody's shouting it into their radio. Oh, a hundred people are shouting at us at the radio right now. Um, Normally, I am. Normally, uh, I'm the one going, it's fucking Starts with a D. Diverticulitis. Anyway, that one. Diverticulosis. Diverticulitis. Yeah. Lotusitis. Yeah. Right. Depending um, on how it's, advanced. And every it is. time they get diagnosed with it, they're told to, you know, lower their meat intake. And it, I said, what? What the fuck does meat that, have to do with it? In their minds, meat kills. <laughs> meat causes everything. And I don't. Even it, having read books like The Big Fat Surprise and all these other, you know, the. Good calories, bad calories. You know, I don't understand where the meat thing ever came about. Was it was it literally just the government trying to get us to cut back on meat because it cost too much? I, I don't know. I, it's like it's well, it, the we, stupidest we, thing that I've ever heard anybody come up with. Well, we have to go back to the um, the uh, the heart hypotheses to begin with that saturated fat and cholesterol causes heart disease. Well, what are the richest sources of saturated fat and cholesterol are animal products. So they told us to stop eating meat and eggs. And if we were going to eat meat, they wanted us to eat boneless, skinless chicken breast or a lean fish. And it was a huge mistake. It is the exact opposite those two macros, the protein and the fat, are what heal our body. Yeah. But that's and where that I, started. I just, that yeah. was the, the heart the heart hypothesis that saturated fat and cholesterol was killing us. And then the obesity thing you, you, is because they still believe calories in, calories out. Well, if you believe that, the first macro you should cut out is fat because fat has twice as many calories per gram than both protein and carbohydrates. So that was why we went to the whole low fat thing. You were supposed to lose weight and be really heart healthy by eating Count Chocula in the morning instead of eggs. <laughs> oh, I know. Um, it, it's actually, it amazed me when I, you know, along the time I've been listening to Dr. Chafee, you know, who's, he's American, but he, he's in Perth, Australia, that Australian cows are actually bread leaner so you you can't even get a fat cow in australia in the first place and because they that whole country was so into the low fat well that they started breeding their cattle to have less fat right and and let's look at the outcome because we, we did the same thing here remember we turned pork into the other white meat we made it next to impossible to yeah. cook because it was so lean. Nobody wants to eat it because it's like shoe leather. And then we told everybody you can't eat yeah. it rare or you'll get trichinosis. Well, that hasn't existed for about 40 years. But that's what we were told. You should be eating lean meat. Well, let's let's just look at the outcome. Who would you say has far more obesity? 
the United States and Australia or Japan? Right, uh, us. Yeah. Yeah, and what did Japan do? What is I mean, Japan famous for when it comes to beef? Wagyu. Beef? Wagyu. Oh, Kobe. Kobe, Kobe beef. and yeah. Wagyu. Those are those it, are Japanese cows that they bred specifically to be that fatty. If you take this is what I, I love right. doing this. It's outrageously expensive. But if you get oh, yeah. A five Wagyu, I will take a slice of that raw. And I will put it on my tongue, and it melts like dark chocolate. Do you are you aware of Steak and Butter Gal Bella? No. Oh well, you should look her up. She's she's a she's a long term carnivore. That's a concert pianist who started being carnivore while she was at Juilliard. But she one time got a big old chunk of wagyu from somebody, or maybe she just bought it on her own. I forget. It, it was like a pound. And she ate the whole thing in one sitting, and we were like, "No, don't do that!" And she got sick from it because of it was so much. Of course, she fat. did. My like, God, and <laughs> and and part of part of that stick sickness was sticker shock. I'd have to sell my coach to be able to afford a pound of A five Wagyu. <laughs> no, it was it was just it was just hilarious. It's like, yeah, fatty beef is good for you, but don't eat that much at once. You well, know I mean? Normally you can't. Um, you know, your body is pretty good at self-regulating. I can't eat too much fat and well, too much fat you can overdo sometimes no. if your fat digestion isn't good, but it's hard to overeat fat or protein. Your body stops you. Well, and she's known for, I don't know if she does it anymore, but she used to just eat stick of butter once in a while. You know, I mean, she would, if she oh. wanted to snack, she would snack on straight butter. I, so, you know, that's also... She she's a butter eater, and she got she made herself sick eating that wagyu because of the fat Yeah, I can see it. That's kind of funny. Yeah. So, well, I've talked about that when I'm when I'm on the road and I need to get a lot of miles in, and I don't like snacking when I drive, but I will put a stick of butter up there, and I will just take a big bite of butter once in a while. Keeps the appetite down all day long. Yeah, I've done it. I, it's actually good. I like it. Oh, yeah. No, it is. Well, especially when you're hungry. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's like you're getting pure nutrition. It's something that they use for, like, Arctic expeditions and stuff, uh, absolutely. too. Absolutely. You know, if, you're, well, if you need a lot of calories and, you know, you're in a cold environment, you take butter with you because, for one thing, you know, it doesn't take up as much space pound for pound as other foods do, and it's a shitload of more uh, uh, useful calories uh, than it, other things you might carry. It, it, yeah, it's, it's nutrient-dense, energy-dense. It's um, it, What's the... Uh, oh, pemmican. Pemmican is the same idea. Pemmican is yeah. like beef jerky right. with more than 50% fat content. Well, that's that's... Two different things. I mean, pemmican is a is a lot more fat with it. With I mean, butter's you know, pure I, fat. I've, I've heard it done different ways. The, the pemmican I carry, it's not. I mean, it's the the carnivore bar, you know. And it's it's kind of like uh, imagine a stick of fat with really hard beef in the middle of it. it right. <laughs> I like eating it when I'm hungry, but it kind of tastes like fat with gravel in it. That's what I was trying not to say, <laughs> but. <laughs> It tastes good when you're hungry, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no no doubt. Uh, All right, I am going to move along. I've got to get to some calls here. We're going to head off to Indiana. Andrew, welcome. Hey, Kevin, thanks for taking my call. 
Hey, um, I got one comment to make before I get off. That uh, that woman that you're talking to with the Cascadia, it wasn't a Volvo. Um, when you're talking about the OPS, you you still have to change that main filter. So just so that lady don't get confused. So she and again, I, I was really trying not to overwhelm her with too much stuff. That could have turned into an hour phone call. When she gets the OPS on, we can talk about changing the full flow filters every other time. So uh, 50,000 miles on the full flow filters, 25 on the, the OPS. It, if I gave her all that information, she's not going to remember it anyway. So it, it's easier to give her the highlights. No, no, I, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I understand. I just don't want people coming back. Well, Kevin said, you know, you don't change it, you know. It, well, no, I didn't say that. But, uh, I, I left that out by omission. There's a big difference. Well, no, I think I think what it was is there was something said about about the main filter, and you said no. Well, she like, said you know, that it. was an installation piece. She said you can leave the main filter on and install the OPS. That wasn't leave the filter okay. cartridge in forever. That she and a lot of people believe this that if this is an oil filter, it must replace the oil filters that's already on my truck. But that that's not true because this is a, a, a bypass filter that filters very slowly, and we need to have the full flow filters on there to maintain oil pressure. So, But the way she said it to me, she was questioning the installation of it, not the filter change itself. Okay. Maybe I misunderstood. I'll have to go back and re-listen to that. And then, when, you know, another thing about those trucks you know, the bedrooms like that, that pull and tanker with a longer wheelbase, you know, a lot of them trucks also, too, don't have fairings on the back of the sleeper. And and another thing, because I, I just bought a 2020 Cascadia with the DD-13, and this truck has uh, a direct drive trans with 228 gear ratio, and it's right right at 1275 at 65 miles an hour. And before I bought it last week, I was messaging back and forth with, with Henry, telling him the specs. And he says, you know, as long as you keep your trailer gap tight and, you know, keep your RPMs in check. And he said that that DD-13 does like to run a few more RPMs than the 15. No, I, 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 I get that. 13 to me is still too high. We don't need to be cruising above 13 on these engines. The Series 60 maybe, but not, not the new DD-13. I would want to be down in the 11 range, 11 or 12. But, but again, I didn't go there. I, I, I actually told her not to worry about the gear ratio. We'll, we'll deal with what you've got. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand that. I, I was just saying when she was talking, you know, 1300 at 65, I was just saying that's probably around the 228 with the direct drive. But on the passenger side door, it'll get that tag. Yeah, and, and here's it'll the problem. The I, it, it, like the earlier call, we can't guess at this because you could say, oh, no, my 228s do exactly that. Well, but we don't know what your final gear ratio on the transmission is, and she did not know her rear end or the transmission. So there's no point in even talking about it at that point. Yeah. No, I understand that, but all she's got to do is open up the passenger door, and there's a sticker in there that'll tell you if it's a direct drive or an overdrive and what the gear ratio is, and it's on the passenger door. I know, but we didn't have that information in this call. 
So that's why I gave her some things to do, gave her some homework, told her to call back next week. We'll do this a little at a time. Okay. Okay. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's um, Thank you. Let's go to Idaho. Andrew, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Uh, I'd like to start off just by saying how much of a blessing you are to everyone who hears you. Uh, you've, you've really done a lot. Uh, you've stayed consistent uh, with your messages. It's something that I appreciate uh, about you and also the fact that you're not so caught up in yourself and the information and the knowledge that you have that uh, you're, you still admit when you're wrong, if you're wrong about something, if you're misunderstood or things like that. So uh, I appreciate that because I, I hate it when someone is a know-it-all all the time and can never admit when they're wrong. So yeah, I think you do a really good balance um, well, at doing that. So I, I appreciate it. Well, thank you. I run into a lot of people who don't think that. They think I'm arrogant, that everything I say, I believe I'm always right about. I, I hear that all the time. I, I really well, to be do. Fair, most people are ignorant. So. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, a lot of stuff. I, I really work hard to keep an open mind and not let my ego get in the way. Right. <laughs> well, when you're as knowledgeable as you are, I imagine that's pretty, pretty difficult uh, because you are right so often, right? And, and I went down this path at one point and I, when people argued with me, I just asked them to pinpoint a time when I was last wrong. Um, <laughs> it was like the yeah. cockiest thing I could ever say. You, you know and, what, uh, I thought, I'm trying to grow out of it. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know what? That's not a bad approach. Because that's what I'll do sometimes. People will, will, and I can tell when they're 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 just a hater. I mean, they're they're just looking for yeah. me to be wrong, and they'll call and say, "Oh, you think you're right all the time?" No, I'm not even sure where you get that yeah. from. Uh, but but if if that's the case, if you really think that, tell me a time that I was wrong and let's discuss it. And I don't right. know that. Yeah, exactly. Because I want to learn from it. Absolutely. So I, I want to understand where you think I was wrong that I won't change my mind if I see new evidence. And invariably, when I ask them that question, I get crickets. They can't point out a single thing that they believe I've said wrong. Right. Or they're off topic. You right. know, um, something that's not even relatable. Uh, yeah. yeah. All yeah. right. So it, it, here's... I'm, I'm, I try, I've, I've been working on getting out of the habit of giving my opinion, uh, because if you give it to people who don't value, who don't take it, oh, don't yeah. take your advice, you value what you have to say. So, but I do want to say something about Friday's show, but before I do that, I'd like your opinion on something. So I have, I, we spoke uh, several times this year. I got my authority, um, activated last December sometime. Got the truck on the road in January. I hired my dad as a driver. I'm working on getting another truck to hire my mother. They were already drivers, so very experienced. Um, anyways, one of my biggest fears is that, I, I don't know why it's a fear, but uh, it could just be because it's my dad, and it's more like I'm babysitting him versus just, you know, uh, employer, right. uh, an employee relationship, but because he's childlike mentality and no critical thinking, and I have to hold his hand for a lot of things. However, I have this fear that uh, because I'm not in control of that particular truck, that it's going to have this big accident. Um, my, my father won't survive the accident and so on and so forth. So it's got me thinking about term life policy. But as far as a business owner, is there something else that's better than a term life policy no. on him? Uh, that, no. Okay, no. so just go with the so, term of probably 20-year 
He's 56. He's never had uh, an issue getting his two-year card. Uh, he doesn't take any prescriptions. Uh, I, I would, a little overweight, but I, I would do a 10-year fixed term, not a 20. You are going to pay okay. a lot more money every year for a 20 because that puts him at what 86. Uh, 76. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. 56. Oh, he's 56. I would still go with the uh, right. 10. Um, Fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. Yeah, oh, well, I, what, what, what type of price range? I have a two million general liability policy. Well, hold on. Um, hold, I have let, an S wait, wait, LLC. Wait. I, I, I failed to do this in the right order. We got to step back. I, I answered the question with, that I may not even need to answer yet. Why are we insuring him? Okay. Does any who depends on his income? I do. No, you don't. As a business. No, you don't. He I, and I hate to say this, but the reality is he's replaceable. No, that is true. Um, that that is true. Uh, but if I, I get where you're going, so what you're trying to, what you're getting at is that it could be a waste of money. No, it will be a waste of money. Or, or it, it okay. Or and and I just don't like the idea of this. Or it's a payout because your father died. I, it, I don't know if I follow. Well, it's almost like winning the lottery. Oh, look, I got a million dollars because my dad died. Well, hell, insure the rest of your relatives, too. I have, I have done that in, in the past um, only because I, was, I, I knew here's, uh, what was to come. Here, here's the, the two, two cases life insurance makes sense. And the insurance companies never tell you this because they want you to buy life insurance on everybody, including your children, which is the worst idea ever. But... I agree. We should stop calling it life insurance. We should call it income replacement insurance. That's what it's used for. If I am the sole, if I am a breadwinner in my family and I die, they can't replace me. I mean, sure, you go out and marry somebody right. else, but that's a little extreme. You know, you, you, can't, you can't replace me as a human being. This isn't life insurance. What you can replace is my income. That's what we're doing with this insurance. We are ensuring that the people who need income from that person have income if they die. Not a, not, not a lottery winning that they didn't really need, but if they need the income, then you insure somebody's life so that there's income going on. The other place, and this may have been what was in the back of your mind, in a partnership, Many times the owners all have insurance on each other, and it's called key man insurance. Here's the reason why. I have a business partner, Aaron. I love Aaron's wife, but I do not want to be in business with her. That's not how the business was set up. It wouldn't work that way. So if Aaron dies, I need to be able to buy out Aaron's share of the business. And I may not have enough cash to do that, depending on how big the business grows. So I put key man right. insurance on him. If he dies, I take that money and I give it to his wife to buy out his share of the business. No, you 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 hit the the nail on the head with an earlier statement. It is it is uh, the lottery. So, but I guess the my thought is that with being a small carrier. I'm just getting started. Before you, I'm trying but, to grow. But before you go down this road, let me ask you a question. 
the next driver mm-hmm. you put on, are you going to put a million dollar insurance policy on them? That was going to be another question for you. And First off, yes, I, you I can't. Considered it. You can, I could put an insurance policy on you, a, a term policy on you. I, it, I don't even need your permission to do it. Uh, but it, it, that, it's that's a that's horrible was idea. A between, it's a horrible okay, idea. And that's why I was it, asking the difference I, between being a business owner and or getting just a policy. Well, but, well, and, and I there, just want to preference this with the fact that it is my father. I do still drive in the business. I am the only one making the business move forward. Not only would I be dealing with a ton of insurance, a ton of backlash if somebody else was involved, the loss of my father, and a, obviously if someone dies in a, in a semi-accident, the truck's probably totaled as well. So uh, there's a lot to handle with that, and I have I have people who depend on my income and my income only, and that's why I was considering maybe putting a policy on him. Not no, a million no, dollars. no, you put have, the you put the policy on you if they are if they need your income. Then you have the policy on no, you. No, I understand. I the have reason, that in place. The reason yeah, we call that. it key man insurance. Look, I don't want this to come across the wrong way. My my frontline employees, there's no way to say this, and it's going to sound bad. They're not what we consider key key employees. It, they're, it's easier to replace your frontline people. There are more people with those skills. Those kind of people quit all the time. You have to be ready to replace employees. But... I can't replace Aaron. I mean, I, I can't. He's part of the business. He's an owner. He is key to this. Lisa can't be replaced easily. It, 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 I can't be replaced easily. So the people you just, it, it's either hard to replace them or almost impossible. I don't want another business partner. I, I really like working with Aaron. I don't want to replace him. But if he dies, I at least need the cash so that the business goes on. But that it's called key man insurance for a reason. If if we have employees, if we have a position where people come and go, and I can't think of a position that people come and go more than truck drivers, it would we would be insane to put insurance on them. We might as well just light our money on fire. I think I think we're on the uh, different pages here. I understand uh, key man life insurance, uh, and I have insurance for myself because my wife and kids depend on my income. I drive a truck full time. And if I were to lose, I, I'm not looking to get you to agree with me. I, I'm, well, I'm not I'm going to. to make sure that because you're, you're going to say if I lose right. my father, but you told me something about your father. You basically babysit him as a driver. Again, the income to that portion of the business is solely on him. If I had the policy, I could step away from not only driving 3K a week myself, but and get the process of replacing the truck, hiring somebody else, all of these things. Should I have something? What, what is it that I should have in place to supplement the lost revenue in the, for the amount of time that it will take me to go through all of that process because I can't imagine that totaling a truck, losing a driver, uh, driver's life, and me having to be off the road would be a one or two week process. It's going to take some time to recover as a business. Here's what you have in supplemental cash. Just put cash aside. Okay. 
take all that money you would have spent on premiums and just put it in the bank every month. Fifty dollars a month on a premium isn't isn't gonna saving saving that isn't gonna make a dent in taking uh, any go, realistic uh, amount of time. Go buy top. go buy a lottery ticket on your father then. Really, I don't have any more answers. Okay. I I, th- I don't know of a single I, business that does this. Nobody. Again, life insurance was just uh, an example. I'm asking you if there's cash, a- cash. No, there's no other financial instrument. Take some cash and put it in a money market account, earning four or five percent interest, and forget about it. Okay. Look, you, you, you have insurance on the truck. The truck's going to get replaced. Sure, it takes a little bit of time. It, a month's revenue, and it shouldn't take you a month. No, and I, and I agree with you. I just, I guess maybe I get a little too far ahead in, in, in my own head and don't explain everything to the fullest, but I, the truck's not worth anything. I bought a million plus. We put money into it. So when if, if we totaled that truck or my truck at 1.7 million miles and 1.1 million miles, we're not really getting anything. And then I have to go out and buy a truck that is, you know, comparable, you know, um, and you're going to, you could end up getting somebody else's junk. I know that mine aren't junk because I've spent years maintaining them. Um, But but that, that could happen. There's 10 other ways that could happen to the truck. So yes, you always have the ability to replace a truck because we know we could lose one. You're talking about your father's life. Very different thing. And I, I'm, I'm kind of a stickler for this. I, I've, you know, I've talked about this in the past. My kids get nothing when I, when I die, and they know that. I, I, don't right. want, I, I don't want anybody to have an incentive for me to die. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> I joke with my I, wife all the time because I have a million-dollar policy on myself. <laughs> well, well, so do I. I told her, I said, don't start feeding me good coolant. So do I. I or just, Drano or something. I, I just make sure I'm worth more than a million dollars. Alive. <laughs> right. <laughs> I agree with I, you. I, okay. watched, I, 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 I wasn't I, considering it. I was just asking a, 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 in general because, again, I, I know about Affleck. I don't have that. Supplemental income, so if you know, like long-term disability, short-term disability, I wasn't aware... I wasn't sure if there was something as far as like a business goes, because I know the bigger carriers, they put policies or accidental deaths or things like that on drivers. I don't know anything about that. Who so that's does? why I was asking if there's something there. No, 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 no. Uh, Hold on. You're confusing things. Those policies they put on their employees are for their employees' benefit, not theirs. Nobody puts long-term disability on an employee that the company gets money for. Right. I Again, I think one of the different pages here i'm asking if there's something that a business if there's something that a business puts in place to supplement the crash of of their business no just just general general insurance insuring the truck your your assets but then cash what is your potential risk and let's have some cash here and your potential risk honestly is like Ten to fifteen thousand dollars per truck. I mean, hell, that's that's cheaper than a one box today. Yeah, <laughs> I actually just found a one box for uh, eighty nine hundred dollars, um, which I have to put one in. So it's uh, it's eighty nine hundred bucks. It's a full prefab kit. Um, takes six hours to put in, 
and uh, it comes with a three-year warranty and brand new DPF. So I was mind blown because the last time I bought a DPF, just the two filters was forty-two hundred. Yeah, no, that's, that sounds. Um, so I'm actually pretty shocked on that. Sounds that price. sounds like a good deal. Um, put some cash yeah, aside sure. and don't overcomplicate this. I got you, partner. Hey, uh, can we talk about that show you had on Friday, real quick? Sure. You had you had a couple of different people talking about uh, fair driver pay and this overtime stuff. I have been racking my brain so much in trying to figure out how I can pay my dad something besides mileage. Um, and and I really, without having dedicated routes and dedicated um, customers, which I'm only ten months in and we're doing great, but the variable expense is so. All, it's all over the place. I can't figure out how I would ever make a fixed, a, a different pay system work. Um, I was I listened to that show through annoyance uh, because of the argument, hoping that somebody would say something that made sense. I know Joel's probably got a good operation. He's, it's, from what it sounds like, it sounds like he's got um, like a dedicated a customer, and things are pretty consistent on that front, which would obviously allow that to happen not necessarily Um, but but here's the thing um all we can do when it comes to employees you you look at what percentage of the revenue that they are getting paid by the mile and you look at the rest of your profit is there any other profit in the business anywhere that you're willing to give up for an employee and if there's not Mm -hmm. then the reason you're not getting a good answer Nobody's figured one out yet. We're, we're guessing at this stuff. We're trying things to see what happens. And it's difficult because right. here's the thing. Does anybody yeah. care if they get overtime pay, but at the end of the week, their check isn't much different than it was the week before? No, no. no one's going to care. Nobody no, no cares. Care. So if we can't figure yeah. out how to pay the driver more than what he's making on mileage, why even bother? Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, I, and I've, like I said, I've racked my brain. The best thing that I've come up with is I asked him, I said, what do you, I, well, one, I looked at his uh, previous year's uh, income and divided it by the number of uh, days and weeks and whatnot that he was on the road. Um, and uh, I knew I could beat that for sure. So that was my first goal was to make sure that he, he didn't like sitting. So I said, okay, well, we'll make sure we run you really hard, you know, if that's what you want. So, and then I asked him what he thought a fair rate per mile was, and then I just did the math, and I, I ran all the numbers, and it made sense, so I pay him that. I, and I pay him for the other little things, you know, if he's sitting at a dock door, if he has to do a restart out on the road, if he has to throw chains or shut down due to weather. I, comp- I try to compensate for those things, uh, you know, to, to a degree, right? Because some people would be like, ah, 500 bucks if I have to shut down, you know, for weather. And it's like, you know, I don't. Some, some people are out, out of control with, with their desires, you know. Um, but I, I, one thing I wanted to mention, and I don't, under, I don't know if Joel considered, he, he kept saying 36% increase on his uh, payroll. But is that considering the payroll tax, the, uh, all the other things that the, the uh, increased workers comp because they, they base that based on percentage the right we didn't get into that kind of detail did, did he consider my, all of that my oh, guess okay. is knowing joel that yes he did okay because i was going to say that could be closer to 50 percent you're when right you increase pay by 50 percent that's decreasing profit for the business and which could you know potentially 
you know, stop you from growing. Or, oh, no, that... I mean, a ton of things. That, that's my point about the whole hybrid pay model, different pay model. It, 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 for most operations, the problem is they can't increase the driver pay at all. So why even mess with a hybrid system? It's just going to confuse things. And if they end up with the same pay, nobody cares. The, the goal is to figure out how to get driver pay up. The challenge is, if you're the only one doing it, you better be damn good at cutting costs everywhere else. And Joel is. I mean, Joel is the ideal guy to try this. He's got profit in his operation. He can pay the drivers more. And to go to a hybrid hourly mileage system for him is a good idea. He's not at a big risk. But most of the small fleets I look at, there isn't a penny more per mile to be found anywhere. Uh, yeah, and then, and then of course, if, if you were to do something along those lines and rates plummet, you know, then you just you have to go back to square one and recalculate everything, and you can't take you know you can't take money away from a driver or an employee. They're gonna they're gonna quit, you know. Um, so that I mean that's that's the tough part. I, I I don't know what's wrong. He he argued on Friday as if he had all the answers while agreeing and admitting that he didn't have any of the answers uh it, it was pretty dogmatic about it when the other guy stepped on the on the line and uh, started disagreeing with him well here, um, here here's the thing he doesn't know for sure yet he's trying to work it out but the guy saying it can't work doesn't know either that's really what Joel right, was pushing yeah, exactly. back against. Joel isn't saying I'm absolutely right and you're wrong. He's saying neither one of us know. It, and we got to go play around with this. And it, it's kind of like my theory of ready, fire, aim. Joel got ready. He knows there's enough profit in his operation. He can play around with pay and see what works. He pulls the trigger and now he'll start aiming. Yeah. The one, one thing that I've done uh, with my dad is like I'll, I'll get these incredibly stupid uh, rates uh, from time to time. Don't get me wrong. I've pulled the dollar fifty stuff, you oh, know, yeah. which is fine. I still make a profit. Um, but um, when I get something that's like astronomical, three plus uh, a mile, which believe it or not, is still happening. Yeah. Um, there, I'll tell them, hey, listen, I can I can throw a little extra your way, you know, um, and and I do it. So because it's not that big of a deal. My my number one goal is is to make the driver. My driver happy. Absolutely. Because I the turnover yeah. uh, costs a lot, especially if I'm out here trying to turn 3K a week myself but, on my, my dedicated run. I don't have time to go interview. If, you know, I have to take off to do that. So it's an even larger cost um, let than me, somebody who's already working in the office atmosphere. Let me give you another approach, and, and it's not to say you're just going to wake up tomorrow, turn a switch, and this is going to work. This is something you're going to have to work towards, and I think the entire industry should start working towards this. Get them home more often, and they won't complain about the pay as much. They will be happier with the pay if you can get... When I could get my drivers home every night and they didn't work weekends or holidays... Not only did I have zero turnover, I had a waiting list of drivers. Yeah, I took a thousand dollar a week pay cut where I'm currently at in my truck uh, because I'm home every every week for three days straight. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it, it's for that, me, and, and that was worth it to me. The other thing you could do, which is what I've done, is hire somebody who just wants to live in the truck. Oh, that's another. <laughs> so if they live in the no, truck, absolutely. 
very yeah. low expenses. Yeah, no, that's um, another strategy. And so my both my parents live in the truck, and my goal because they've done nothing with their life, nothing, no retirement, no, they didn't set themselves up in any way. So they're going to work until they can't possibly work, or until they can figure out how to make social security work when they're old enough to take it. You know, right? Uh, so I feel like I'm helping. Not what I I told them. I said, you guys are never moving in with me. Uh, because I've been giving them advice for 10 or 15 years and haven't been taking it. So now the opportunity is, well, at least I'll create a business that benefits me and can help you out throughout the next 15 years of your life because you haven't helped yourself. You yes. know, so, and, and it kind of works out. And so my goal is to get them, to, you know, stay stable while living in the truck. They can take time off at my house, you know, and see the grandkids, uh, but they can't move in. And hopefully uh, they'll start listening at some point, saving the money so that they can have a little bit of something when they get to the point where they can't work anymore. You know, if, if I was wealthy enough, I'd just buy them a house. And oh, I know. Them. But uh, I'm not. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I know that's it. Yeah, is a true statement. I'm right. well on my way. Uh, what's your opinion on two trucks? I, I think we're going to hit about a half a million, a little bit more than that in growth. Um, this year, um, total mileage about two hundred and thirty thousand ish between the two trucks. Those are rock solid and, uh, numbers. Okay, yeah, I get really excited every now and then when I get the three dollars. But I've honed in on not running just loadboard stuff, um, which is crazy because it was incredibly difficult to get freight when my authority wasn't ninety days old and six months old. Which is why I didn't leave the. Uh oh. Hmm. All right. Um, I don't know what happened there. We um, we just lost all the audio on that call, and then we lost the call. Uh, we were pretty much done with that call. I'm going to wrap this up for the day. We're uh, we're coming up right up on the three hour mark here. I do want to spend some time here with uh, David and the the crew here. Uh, so I am going to wrap this up for today and. We will see you back here tomorrow for the Power Hour. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.